Hello, and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, after guesting on two panel discussions, Dan Ostrander is finally on his own episode. Well, mostly. Dan shares stories of running, exploring, sitting on logs, and going further than you have ever gone before. Margaret, or Miss Parisi, as she is known to her close friends, <laughs> joins us to talk about what it's like to crew for a baller like Dan. Along the way, we learn a little bit about what got Dan running, how a DNF at Leadville helped him gain perspective, and ultimately how a breakthrough performance, I, I call it that, he doesn't, at Twisted Branch helped him finish Burning River 100. Also, we learn what really attracted Margaret to Dan in the first place. And trust me, it wasn't putting anti-chafing gel on his ultra toes. Speaking of anti-chafing gel, you can pick some up when you check out our first sponsor, the Rochester Running Company. <laughs> Come on, that, that was a pretty sweet segue right there. I mean, writers would kill for that kind of segue. Anyways... Fine. Uh, Rochester Running Company is a new running store in town located on Mount Hope Avenue in Collegetown. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Collegetown. It looks a little bit intimidating when you first go there. Mount Hope can be busy at certain times of the day, and things might feel a little bit hectic. You know, one could get a little bit overwhelmed, you know, when you just, when you just show up there. You might be driving and think, there are so many shops and I don't know exactly where Rochester Running Company is. I don't even know where to park. I'm just going to drive on past and head for the quiet serenity of Mount Hope Cemetery. And that's an option. Uh, it is quite a beautiful cemetery, uh, especially this time of year, what with the foliage and all that. But hit up the cemetery after you visit Rochester Running Company. Here's a pro tip. Turn into the street that runs through the middle of Collegetown. It's called Celebration. Once you turn on that street, there's a huge parking lot right in the middle. Free parking lot. A giant lot. Don't worry about the street. Don't pay for the ramp. Just park your car in the lot and then go for a stroll. Rochester Running Company is on the main drag. Come out of the parking lot and look towards the little park that's opposite you. And the Rochester Running Company is right in there. Once you get there, you'll find that visiting the Rochester Running Company is a lot like a great run. Once you experience it, you want to do it again as soon as possible. Friendly staff, cool brands you can't find anywhere else, clean towels and cold water for their frequent and free group runs. You just can't get enough. Additionally, the Facebook page is full of hustle and bustle with many pop-up runs or running-related activities constantly being discussed and organized. Bring your friends, bring your running group, make some new friends, and meet other running groups. Rochester Running Company. Run our city. Together. Thanks to Rochester Running Company for sponsoring this show. And as always, you can find links to some of the things Dan and I talk about, as well as links to the episode sponsors, uh, including Josh Stratton. More on him later, including that coveted $15 off code. Uh, the episode show notes are in your podcast player or on the website located at runningincideoutpodcast.com slash 038. I implore you, go out there and find a single typo in them. Find a typo. You can't. You can't do it. Uh, anyways, 
With that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of Rochester runners. Burning River, right? Want to start there? Start in the middle, go to the beginning, go to the end. Go what do you Tarantino want to do? style? Yeah, that's what we do. We like, could do that. Smash cut, Burning River. <laughs> Whatever you um, think. All right, so you've been on two shows now, two panel shows, right? Yes. You were you were on episode number two. You no, you're on yes, you're on number two, Rothrock. Mort told green. me to do it. Mort told me to do it with Green and Lesher. Yes. And then you were on the Twisted Branch preview episode. Yeah. So now almost book ending the podcasts. <laughs> almost. One of the very first ones and one of the very recent ones. And you were almost gonna be on one by yourself. This was gonna be an exclusive Dano episode. And then Margaret's joining us, right? Hi, yes. Margaret. Hi. Yay! <laughs> see how easy it is? You could do this. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yep. So we have Dan Ostrander and Margaret. Would you like to be Would you like to be addressed by your last name, Margaret? Sure. Oh yeah. Parisi. I'll just, I'll just do that. I'll just do Miss Parisi. How no. about that? <laughs> Oh, I thought you meant, like, use my last name. You no. can use my last name. You don't have to address me with my last name. <laughs> and Miss Parisi, uh, oh, if you could state for the court. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah? Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so, Dan, we, uh, at Burning River, we were talking about, like, we're going to do, this is it. You're doing 100 Mile. You finally have a thing that you want to come on the podcast and talk about, right? Yeah. All your own. Yes? No? Yeah, yeah. We talked about you had talked to me about that before the race. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing that ever happened was at mile ninety-two yep. of the race. That was at Botsum. Walking you out of the aid station, you said, "I said, all right, Dan, you just got you know ten more miles. Just see you in a bit." And you're like, "I don't want to do the podcast tomorrow." Yeah, <laughs> that's that what was... you, that's what you said to me. Yeah, I uh, I. At that point in time, I had been grinding for 20-plus miles mm-hmm. and still had 10 to go. And just, I don't want to say I was over it because obviously, like, I didn't want to quit and I was going to absolutely finish. But, I don't know. this The thought of getting through that ordeal, sleeping, and then waking up and recording, like, an hour-plus, <laughs> you know, two-hour podcast just sounded, at the time, absolutely terrible. Oh, yeah. So, I was just like, if I just, no, I'm just going to say it now. Be done with it, and we'll figure it out later. Like, because it just would have been. I, I didn't. I, I. It would have been a chore. I so, think. so can you imagine if I had like a microphone right there, and I was like, Dan, you're at mile ninety two of Burning River. You should look into doing that. <laughs> yeah. Getting a horrible setup, just like running down the trail with a boom mic, like yeah, doing I mean, on like on course interviews. I'd have to get a lot tougher to deal with all the punches in the face that I True, true, true. But. Although the last 10 miles of Burning River was pretty much on a flat, crushed limestone path, mm-hmm. and I walked like 85% of it. So this would have been a good place to do it. Yeah, because you were... Because I was just walking, and the terrain was very oh. flat. I but. can imagine that'd be miserable, though, just having somebody ask you lots of questions about how you're feeling and thinking. Yeah, that's so, true. So now here we are. We're cut to, what, three weeks later. Yeah. You're recovered. You've gone for a run. Yeah, I, I seem to always tell myself, give it two weeks of no running, and then test the waters and see how things are going. I've kind of, 
I always tell myself I'm gonna do longer after my bigger efforts. Like after my first 50 miler, I told myself, I'm taking a month off. Two weeks later, I was running. Yeah. Um, Trans Rockies, told myself a month off because it was such a huge effort. Took two weeks off, right back into it. Like it just sort of seems to be, Twisted Branch was the same way. I, I told myself, you know, at least three weeks off. This thing destroyed me. This is, I need time to recover. Two weeks later, you know, I get the itch and I get back out there. So same thing with this. I told myself, all right, I know it's not going to be a month. So I told myself two weeks and then we'll see how it feels. And uh, a week to the day, Sunday after the race, um, I went out to quote unquote hike at Durand by myself. Yeah. Because um, I figured recovery hikes would be a good way to explore trails. Just, I don't know. I just it's get out on some new stuff. No, I'm just no walking. I can look around. I can kind of figure some things out. So I went there with the intention to hike and I got out and was kind of loosening up and was like, I feel pretty good and ended up actually running and yeah, I ran like five or six miles and it felt fine. So I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm fully recovered. Like I'm not ready to jump back into 50 mile weeks, but everything seems to be working and there's no injuries to speak of. So yeah, recovery is going really well. Nice. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, and last year after Twisted Branch, you sort of had that. You had like one day of misery and then like instantly recovered, right? Yeah, pretty much. The night I finished was terrible. Like I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't take my socks off. Like I couldn't bend over. Like Couldn't get into bed. Like, I, yeah, I couldn't climb into my bed. I, like walking upstairs was terrible. Downstairs was terrible. Like doing everything just hurt. Just yeah. chafing and soreness and everything was horrible. And... It really, really stressed Margaret out big time. Yeah, that was like the first time you had ever seen that, right, Margaret? That was the first time I crewed. Yeah. Yeah. And you had ever first time you had ever seen him like after an ultra because that Twisted Branch was your real big race last year, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the goal race, and yeah, I mean she had been to you know 50Ks. Medved Madness, Muddy Sneaker, Ontario stuff. Like she had been to races, but mm. not the kind of stuff that like annihilates you. It's just like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm a little sore because I ran for four hours, and then yeah. I'm fine. You know, like. But this was uh, you know, almost a 15-hour effort, and it was obviously a tough course. And so, yeah, she, she took me she, – she was extremely concerned about whether or not she could crew for me in the future. Right. And she, she gave me a stern talking to. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can see you do this to yourself. Like, this is really hard for me. And, you know, you try to just – it's hard for non-runners to understand that it's like it's the training, it's the race, it's the recovery, it's the whole process mm -hmm. that is kind of part of it. And you know, the next day I woke up, hopped out of bed, hopped in the shower. We went for like a three-mile walk in the village, and I was kind of like night and day. And she's like, "I don't. What is happening? Why you were dead yesterday, and now you're like fine?" And I'm like, "Well, good night's sleep, and you know, That's what it is. It's right? just I just need to. I, I I've historically been good at recovery, so." I know that I just need to take a day or two from the total carnage, and I'll usually bounce back pretty quickly. So um, that obviously put her at ease. Yeah, I felt a lot better after that, seeing so. you better the next day. So then she knows. And then one year later, you're like, I'll totally do a 100 mile with you. Like, let's go do it. Right? That's well, exactly what you said? <laughs> no, word for word, it was exactly that. But Well, it was scary because I had heard so many stories about over 50 over 60 miles like when we were at your house chris planning you had told that story about jamie 
and how you saw him at mile 70 and he was like talking and not making sense. Yeah, at 70K, like he was just and he was holding a nacho in his hand. And yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So she and was. And that freaked me out. So that worried her. And then we also listened to Mike and Jamie's Burning River podcast on the way to Ohio. <laughs> um, just to, just, just to, really... to, you know, hear someone who's been through it all, you know, like. I've listened to it before, but it was a good refresher just about, you know, it, it, I tried to learn from Mike's mistakes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I typically don't change shoes and socks very often during races, um, historically, but hearing about his foot woes last year made it way more top of mind than it would have been otherwise. My right. feet are super resilient in general, so I don't typically have to think about that stuff, so... But hearing how his feet got shredded, I was like, well, I don't want to deal with that mm-hmm. with so many other unknowns. So I tried to be a little bit more proactive with that and, you know, listening to that. And, you know, he, there was one line where he said basically like all the stuff that was going on with my race was things that my pacer was telling me to do. And I was like ignoring him. Like, yeah. So I was trying to kind of pick up on that and, you know, make sure I was diligent about all the stuff I could control. So, yeah. So. Helpful. So you had um, the the idea that Margaret was going to be your crew, right? We had our big crew planning meeting where we kind of like decided where what time we're going down and hotels and eating dinner and all that kind of stuff. And then um, Burning River, the idea was Margaret was going to crew you. It's her her first real gig, right? I mean, she did Twist a Branch. Yeah, um, I did Cayuga. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you had some practice, but this was the the big one, sleep deprivation and all that, right? But she's, yeah, yeah, like, you would never have known that it was her first time at at Twisted Branch crewing. Like, she was exceedingly good at it for never having done it or Mm -hmm. really been around the ultra community. Like, I had, she was where she needed to be when she needed to be there, and she had what I needed when I needed it. Right. Almost pretty much the entire day. So for you had, all three races, like there was very rare other times where I was like, "I need da 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 da," and she was like, "Oh, I I, I have no idea. I don't have it. It's gone." Yeah. It's, so she, you know, she got really good at it really quick. So I, I knew that even though this was uncharted waters, that we were going to be in good shape. Yep, she was prepared. She had a big list. She was taking notes and all that. Yeah. So all right, so we've sort of set the stage for Burning River a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we talked about mile ninety two, so <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler, right? We know you made it to ninety two. <laughs> um and we talked about you had your crew, Margaret, and we talked a little bit about Twisted Branch. Um but coming up to all this, you you know, one of the things we mentioned was talk about the story of Dano, the beginnings. Okay. The 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 idea that you decided you wanted to start running these long things. We all have some sort of reasons, right? And yeah. maybe you don't know all the exact reasons, but how'd you get into running? Like, what was the thing that sort of got you doing this regularly? Running stemmed from, I used to drink booze a lot um, to the point where it became a problem. And so I decided to cut it out of my life before it ruined it. And so I kind of took this big, you know, to me, negative thing out of my life and I wanted to replace it with something positive. Um, And so running, my brother had been a runner for four or five years. He'd done, you know, a couple marathons, half marathons, that kind of stuff. So 
it was nice to know that I had um, a resource that was in my family that if I had questions or concerns or problems or things I was curious about, I could just say, you know, I could text him, call him, hey, what about da 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 And he could, you know, help me through it. It was nice that I didn't have to join a gym. I didn't have to join a team. I didn't have to take lessons. I didn't need a coach. I didn't need anything like yeah. humans, no, no strings. humans run. Like yeah. from the time you're a kid, like I grew up playing sports. I always ran. Like I never ran to run. But you play basketball, you play sports in the neighborhood, you do all that stuff, like, you're running. So yep. I knew how to do it, um, and I figured I could probably dig up a pair of sneakers to run in from <laughs> my closet. And so I figured this is kind of, you know, and at that point in my life, I was definitely, you know, not in the greatest shape, had a few extra pounds on me that I definitely didn't want. And so I figured, you know, these are all good reasons to start doing this. And so I kind of just started walking and kind of sprinkled in some jogging here and there, and it just kind of took off from there. And how old were you when you decided that? Uh, I quit drinking in 2008, um, so it would have been probably early 2009 by the time I started saying, I'm going to run. So around 30 or something like that? I was, um, yeah, 31, 32. <clears throat> yeah. I think when I, uh, it would have been 32 when I quit. It was just after my 32nd birthday when I quit. So I was, yeah, in my early 30s, and I decided... Because I, n- I never ran track in school. I never ran cross-country. Right. I never... I n- like, even at the schools I went to, we never ran the mile. Like, there was nothing that, like, would have exposed me to just pure running when I was a kid. I was just like... It wasn't there. So with with that, then you, you just decide you're going to start running. You didn't need any of the formal structure. You wanted none of that. You're just... Out there running for Dan. Yeah, you open the door and go. And, yeah. I, and I like the idea of that freedom to just be able to kind of go wherever I want, mm-hmm. do it whenever, for however long. Like, you know, if yeah. you want to do other more structured sports, like you need a court or you need a field or you need like a, yeah. lot, a lot of equipment or, you know, there's. Yeah. So. so you pretty much started just running out your door and you're just running the roads of Fairport? No, no. Actually, before that, um, my dad used to go to the gym at the Parrington Rec Center and work on like the machines to stay fit. And I used to tag along with him whenever he would go. And I would, uh, there's a track that's above the basketball courts. Um, it's 16 laps for a loop on for a per mile. mile on the yeah. inside, 17 no, 17 on the inside, 16 on the outside. And I went, and it was me and pretty much, you know, 70-year-old women up on the track. Um, and I started oh, out... got away with the ladies. I, I, somehow, <laughs> I somehow was smart enough to not just start running. Um, I think that might that, that's probably a mistake a lot of new runners make, where they just walk out their door and start running. Yeah. They get a quarter mile down the road, their heart's going to explode out of their chest, they can't breathe, and they're like, why would I do this? I hate this, I'm <laughs> yeah, done. So it's the worst. I started walking just to do something and then i kind of just started sprinkling in you know 30 seconds 60 seconds a couple minutes of running or i would run until i'm tired and i'd stop and walk and then i'd alternate back and forth and you know kind of just started that way um you know and then eventually i think i signed up for a 5k and then that's when i kind of started running outside because i was thinking I'm not going to run a 5K in this gym, so I got to get outside and run on the roads to see, like, to simulate, like, what's actually going to happen on race day. So um, that's kind of how it all began in the beginning, and then it just sort of went from there. 
So the um, uh, RIT has one of those um, tracks above the basketball court, and yeah. it's like 10, mi- 10 laps for a mile. Okay, so it's and, a little bit bigger. But. And I, I, I thought that I was like, there's no way you can run multiple miles on this. <laughs> and when you walk up the stairs to go to it, they have multiple miler club things. And my RA, I always thought he was a little bit weird and a little bit sketchy. <laughs> And uh, just a, an interesting duck. And it turns out like he was at the tops of the charts, having run like thousands of miles on that track. Yeah, humble beginnings. Innocent, yeah. innocent beginnings. <laughs> right? Just, you know. It's always but, so simple in the beginning. But, you know, that nature, we hear it so often. You, you swap out something for your life. You take out some bad thing. You put a good thing in there. And the idea of so many people think ultra runners are addicts or reformed addicts. And, like, you get addicted to running instead of getting addicted to something that yeah. could kill you. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a very addictive personality as it is. So, you know. I like sneakers, so I end up having over 100 pairs of sneakers. You know, I, I this apartment is not that big. I like running, so you know, naturally, it's going to progress up to like running hundred hundreds of you know 100 miles, and so yeah. it, it, it's just when I collect something, I want when I want to when I throw myself into something, I want to do it to like you know the most extreme level, and that's kind of how it was with drinking. It wasn't just like oh, I'll have a couple beers and then I'll go home. It was always like. You know, two turned into six, turned into ten, or whatever, and it just so it, it doesn't surprise me that I've taken running where I have, based mm-hmm. on where I've been. But you know, this is mostly positive. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So how did how did that transition start happening? You did that five k, your heart didn't explode. Yeah, right? I so. uh, yeah, I ran my first five k in I think it was October of O. Nine. It was the morning of my buddy Chris and Natalie's wedding. Um, I ran twenty five fifty seven. Wow! And I was mad. Did you do research for this before, or you just have no, that I locked? In, you have that remember, locked in your yeah. brain. I have the bib somewhere um, in a frame. My first race bib. I have every race bib from every race I've ever done. I have every one except for Twisted Branch. I've really oh, yeah, because we had to pull it. Yeah, that's Tim Holland. He's yeah. following orders. And now it's gone. Yeah. Scott can't find it. So, yeah, I have every bib from every race I've ever run, um, and I write on Sharpie pretty much on all of them, dates, times, races, sometimes the place, um, and they're all in chronological order. Um, the collector. Yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> Definitely a collector. Um, the, only race, the only ones I don't have bibs for are the races that don't have bibs. Like, there's been a, a handful of races where... They just didn't either have, like, a Cast of Shadow, I think, this year didn't have bibs. Oh, really? Um, one of the hmm. Snowshoe Nationals races, I think, had... One of the... Some Snowshoe races I did recently, like, within the past couple of years, they had this little plastic tags that we used as bibs, and we had to give them back when we were done. So, like, there's a couple random races that I don't have, but pretty much everyone is there. But, um, yeah, I did the 5K, and I was like, oh, 5K, that was fun. And then that following November, I did a five-mile race, um, the Southeast Y Turkey uh, Thanksgiving Day. Turkey Trot? Yeah, it wasn't. It's not called the Turkey Trot. It's like the Southeast YMCA. It's in Pittsburgh. Um, Thanksgiving run, and I ran the same pace that I ran for my 5K for the five-miler. And I was like, oh, wait, that's, you know these little things of progress in the beginning and then I want to say from there I was um, 
I wanted to do a half marathon, so I did Flower City in April. Yeah, that that's not a bad one to pick. Right? And then, cool you know, I, the second I crossed the finish line there, I was like, I want to do a full marathon. Wow, so <laughs> instant. I, yeah, so I registered for the Rochester Marathon that year. So that September, I did Rochester, and it just kind of went from there. Um, but I remember, like, at this point, I was still not thinking anything super long distance, like... I was kind of just like I mean, people do marathons. You do a five k, you do a ten k, you do a half marathon, you do a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of dipped my toes into trail running, but like it was still really new, and I hadn't really discovered the world that was there. And you're still doing this mostly independently, like you're not doing it with groups or friends or anything like that. Um, just kind of you solo. Yeah, a lot of the running early on was alone. Um, just walk out the door and go explore mm-hmm. neighborhoods I've always liked to explore um, when I go out running um, I know a lot of people like to just you know they either do out and back so they just do like a big square just yeah, they don't want to deal with that's me the, figuring out the where known, to go or, I do the known route yeah I love the thing that you're doing these days with stringing together five or six parks to make like a 20 miler yeah you know and that, Corbett's and uh, you do you do like three or four different strings of parks that and make twenty mile runs. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I kind of just pick a, a section of the city that has trails, and I just explore everything. I just I run every every turn, every split, every fork. I just run every one of them. Some, you know, a lot of times it takes you either to someone's backyard or a horse farm or a road or it just disappears and it's a deer trail some of them loop back in i just run all of them until i know where everything goes and then you know once you once i learn a certain section i just kind of move on to a different section so i've kind of just been moving from like area to area trying to like figure out where everything is and how it connects and yeah it's really I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm pretty good with direction, so I don't really worry about getting lost. Yeah. And so it's nice to be able to kind of just go anywhere and run and know where I am at all times. Do you purposely avoid like places that you know? Will you be like, oh, I've been down that before, and and purposely make a different turn? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, because like, there's only there's a finite amount of trails in Rochester, so like, I can't. I mean, I, I guess I could explore more and run new stuff, but. You know, I've run the Crescent Trail a ton, like mm-hmm. every which way you possibly can, and I, I still enjoy it because it's a great trail. But um, you know, every now and then I just like to you know pick an area. The most recent area I picked was um, Ganondigan Historic Site, Dryer Road, and the Seneca Trail. Like the, I guess that would be the south end of the Seneca Trail, mm-hmm. Bowden Park, and the Apple Farm, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more over there than just the red Seneca Trail that cuts through the whole thing. Yeah. And if you, you know, care to take the time to learn it, like you can really get some interesting loops. You know, sometimes you have to run bits of road to string them together, but you know, I'm completely content doing that because I come up with these really interesting loops, um, and I really yeah. enjoy it. Like, so it's super fun. Yeah, I can I can stand to use a little bit of that. I somebody asked on Facebook the other day, does anybody have a map of the the Menden 10K loop? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, check check every third run on my straw. Yeah, yeah, I, I did see that. Well, that's the thing, like, you know, I, I mean, honestly, to each his own, I'm not trying to talk crap no, here. No, it, it's helpful to do But I, I just, 
when I see someone go for a long run in Menden and they just run the 10K loop three times, it just frust not frustrates me, but I just don't understand it. That park has 25 to 30 miles worth of trails. And then you pick a six mile loop and run it three times. Like just yeah. because of my nature and how I like to explore and learn the trails and like come up with like super interesting, intricate loops. And I, I, I don't know. It just doesn't appeal to me to go somewhere where there's tons of trails and just run this little tiny section. But yeah, you know, I, I guess I don't. Know, I can't tell you why I I've done that. I've done an 18 miler on the 10k loop, and I've done a 20 miler by doing the 18 three 10k loops and then up to the water tower and down twice. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, and there's no, you know, there's no <laughs> arguing that. I mean, the 10k loop is it's a tough loop, and if you want some serious vert and you want to climb, like that's a great way to do it. But I don't know. I just loops like repeating loops seem monotonous to me. Like yeah. mind the duck sounds monotonous to me. Like yep. the Equicenter overnight one candlelight mm. or whatever seems yeah. monotonous. Like I think there's something to be said about it's not just, having to think though. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I know go. that's what that stems from. People are like, I don't want to think about where I'm going. I just want to run. Yep. And so, I don't know, for some reason I'm able to still enjoy running, but also enjoy like exploring and navigating and getting lost. And I mean, there's like when I was recently, I mean, if anyone's ever run drier road, they know how insanely dense the trails are there. It's very, you're on and, like, yeah, you take a step off the trail and you're on another trail. Yeah. And it, it's really easy to get turned around in there. There's not a lot of like logic mm-hmm. to how it's set up. So when I was in there trying to figure out, and I haven't like, I would love to learn that park, like the whole thing. So I know where I am at all times, but it's super confusing and there's so many trails in there. Like, you know, it's so easy to get turned around and it's not frustrating, but I, I like kind of just running aimlessly through the woods. I don't know. It mm-hmm. makes me feel like a kid. So, yeah. Well, like what Margaret said, there is something to the predictability. Like I know it takes me an hour to run that 10 K mm-hmm. loop. So I need to run three of them. And I also know there's a bathroom right there. Yeah. It does there's always nice to know that there's one of those nearby. So you run two loops, you go, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. It's yeah. it's less than this many miles away, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um but I have been starting to now go to Menden, I'll go to the beach lot like I'm gonna do the ten K loop and I'll go, Okay, before I'm allowed to go to do the ten K loop, I'm gonna it. I'm gonna go run to the other side of Hundred Acre and try yeah. to make it back. So I've been doing a little bit more of that, but yeah. um I don't know. There is there's something to familiarity, um, but I do need to, as you said, there's a ton. I've gone to try on to try to explore once, yeah. and my four-mile run turned into like a seven-mile walk because yeah. I'm like, where the heck am I? Well, try on has a lot of similar pitfalls as a dryer because they're mountain bike parks. Mm-hmm. They have a ton of trails yep. that are designed for bikes that twist and turn and loop around, and there's a lot yep. There's a lot of trail in a small area, so it's it makes it trickier and easier to get turned around um it's not like running around quaker at menden where you just keep the water on your left and go just go no there's there's lots of twists and turns so yeah try on i've gotten better with um, because that was a whole nother project that i did when i was learning the wetlands and try on and ellison and linear and corbett's glen like trying to figure out all of them and then figure out how they link together um and yeah, try on is definitely the, the, the toughest part of that yep. exploration. I went to try on and ended up in Abraham Lincoln and I'm like, Oh wait, how did I, <laughs> you know? Like. Yeah. 
yeah. I had I had to go through some, you know, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, I think it's it's interesting because the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with that, you yeah. know. Murtzak's that way a lot. He'll just go out and just go wander around, yeah. you know. Yeah. And now it's a little bit better with the Trails Rock app because if you do take your phone, you can wander around I a little bit. You use can use that app so much. Yeah. When I'm trying to figure out routes, because like if you want to look at how stuff connects, you have to bring up a map of the wetlands, mm-hmm. and then if you want to look at Tryon, you have to bring up a separate map of Tryon, and then you have to look at both of them that might not be on the same scale and try to figure out where they are <laughs> geographically and how to orient them, and like yeah. it's annoying to try to figure out loops like that. And then God forbid you want to look at Ellison as well. You look at Ellison, and then you're trying. To, now you got three separate maps you're trying to figure out. So the the fact that you can open the app and just look at five or six different parks zoomed out, and you can see all the trails, and you can be like, oh wow, those are all right there, right next they're to next each to each other. Yeah. And like that's really easy to link up, and you know it really helps um, to kind of see the big picture and see how much stuff is there. And there's so much stuff that's not on there mm-hmm. that I know about that. I mean, even with what's there, it's awesome, but there's still so much stuff that's not on there that would make it even better. I mean, I know you, you know, it takes time to get all that well, submit stuff your, in there. Submit but, your routes, you know, um, to send them in. But I, yeah, I find that as an extremely valuable tool. And, and anybody that's trying to get into trail running, I tell them, download the app and look yeah. at it. Like, there's so much stuff on there. Yeah. And, and the like, next version is going to be adding uh, public uh, water spots. That's that's coming soon. I yeah, think, I've, so. I, I, we, Mike and I talked about that somewhat recently. Where I was like, it'd be nice to be like, yeah, be able to mark like water spouts and mm-hmm. water pumps and water fountains. Yeah, because um, like that obviously can help when you're trying to do route planning. Yeah, um, you know, if you can do one less water drop because you know you're going to be at a fountain eight miles in, then you know it's it's really cool to be able to have. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I love the app. I use it a lot. So with. Um so with armed, armed with your tool set of the uh, the gift of exploration, you're uh, you're linking together trails, and you suddenly start finding yourself on trails running, just three four hours at a time exploring. Is that how you got into this long distance stuff? No, I I started running trails. Um, Mike Ryan had a couple friends who had a Medved Madness team and they needed a third Hmm. this was back in 2010 i think um and at the time i was like i've never even stepped foot on a trail like i don't i'm not in any position to do that and he's just like i'm sure you'll be fine (laughs) um i had just i was either i think i had just yeah i had just run uh flower city when it kind of came fell into my lap so i mean i was in you know, good enough shape that I could, you know, run a road half marathon. So I'm sure, but it was just, you know, more the unknown. I didn't, I've never run on trails before. I didn't know where they were or anything. So I went and did, um, it was a Thursday night trail run in probably late April where we previewed leg two of Medved Madness. It was like my first trail run ever. Hmm. And like, I was physically fine and more than capable of managing it. And, um, it was really fun. It was like different. I mean, it was still fun. I mean, I still enjoyed running on the roads, but this was different and, and a lot of fun and just a different atmosphere. And I really enjoyed it. And that's kind of like where I started getting excited about running on trails. Um, the long distance stuff didn't really come until later. Um, 
you know, total broken record here, but you know, my brother had bought me Born to Run for Christmas and I read it and you know, obviously you finish reading the book and you're like, I'm gonna go run fifty miles <laughs> right, tomorrow. That's I don't it. care. <laughs> Give me a canyon. Yeah, like it's just it's you know, say what you will about the author, but you know It's it, a great it's, book. It's a it's great a, read and it's really yeah. um you know, it gets you thinking about that kind of stuff. As crazy as it sounds, I mean I still remember thinking like fifty miles, like ugh. Mm-hmm. You know, like no way. Yeah. But, you know, it was it kind of put it out there and it opened my eyes to a world that I didn't even know existed. Like, just need a just need a pocket full of chia seeds and yeah. you can go forever. <laughs> so, um, you know, so there were a lot of seeds planted early and, you know, seeds. I, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know where I started, like where the like the real long stuff started coming in. It was kind of just like a natural progression. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, I ran that Medved Madness was my first trail race. I did leg two and I ran well and felt fine and enjoyed myself and it was awesome and then you know i want to say maybe the following year i think i ran i started when i when i first started running i raced a lot i I really enjoyed racing i I ran a ton i don't Mm. know if it was i think it was 2011 i ran like i mean it's not prem levels But Prem, Prem Kumar, the fifty-five races. Yeah, a year. he's like prolific racer. Um, but it was it was up there. It was in the forties. Like, yeah. It, and I'm talking snow cheap, dirt cheap, uh, freezeroos, road five Ks, like the Thanksgiving day races, like all the turkey trots, like that binder, Fourth of be. July, like <laughs> I, I was just, anything I could get my hands on, road trail, anything. I was you know it was awesome. I mean, it got to a point. Where it was, it was, it was getting to be too much. Like it stopped being fun. Yeah. You know, when you're lacing up for a freezeru and it's like negative ten out, and <laughs> you're r- running on Long Pond Road, and you're just like, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> why like, did I do this again? You know, and I mean, if you look back at my Garmin stuff, like there's one month where in like December, I think I ran like, you know, ten times, and I think like eight of them were races, because <laughs> it was like it was snow cheap, it was freezeru, and then it was like. Winterfest, and yeah. then it was like Fleet Feet used to do a snowshoe half marathon out in Webster, and then there was like winter. F- um, there was a whole bunch of them, so it was just between snowshoeing and snow cheap and freezeru. Like I was just already, racing like once or twice a week. You already signed up and paid for them. Yeah, it was just it, like, like I said, it was fun. It started out fun, and it just got to be too much, and so I kind of scaled back and was more purposeful with what races I ran. And so as far as, you know, the the sort of the big stuff that we've been that you've been sort of alluding to, what what I know is the Trans Rockies run that you did. Yeah. Uh Leadville twenty fourteen. Yep. Uh Cayuga fifty. Um or Twisted Branch. Yeah. Cayuga fifty and then Burning River. Those are like the big ultra yeah, long endurance um, efforts. Dances with dirt okay. was in uh, fifty 50K, miler. Fifty miler okay. was in yeah. I skipped the fifty k. Um, went right from marathon until to 50 years miles. later. Yeah, my, I. I guess this is kind of annoying to some people, but I, I thought, what's the point of going from a trail marathon to a trail fifty k? Like if you're trying to push boundaries and find out what you can do like the training plan for a 50k is exactly the same as the training plan for a marathon it's the yeah. same thing i mean i know there are different races there are flat there's mountain i mean like mm-hmm. a flat 
road or a flat trail marathon versus a you know 50k sky race i know it's like mm-hmm. night and day but i figured if i can run 26 i can run 31 you, so i want if you're in shape if you're in shape yeah, if you're so not like i wanted to test 26. myself and so i jumped straight to 50 miles mm-hmm. um and that was dances with dirt in 20 i want to say that was 2011 wow okay so way back i think let me think yeah, Dances with Dirt. No, you know, I think Dances with Dirt was 12. Dances with Dirt was 12. Trans Rockies was 13. Leadville was 14. Twisted was 15. Burning River was 16. Burning River. So you pick one each year, one big One effort. major. Like you said, you scaled back, get more purposeful. I mean, we still run. I always say, like, you know, you still run Madness. You still run Muddy Sneaker. Those, you know, those are races. Yeah, those are gonna... some of my favorites. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and this year, even though Burning River was always the, the A race, like the main goal for the year, I ran Muddy Sneaker in April, ran my fastest time I've ever run out of six mm-hmm. races. Um, I want to say I, I also ran Madness, and I think I ran my fastest time of any of those. I also mm-hmm. ran SPF like three weeks before Burning River. And wasn't going to race and ended up racing and put down my fastest, like a PR on that course by like 15 or 16 minutes. So, you know, I, I, I still enjoy the shorter stuff and I like running fast, but, you know, going long kind of took over for a while. So I got I got I can't help but notice that you're setting all these PRs during the time that you and Margaret started dating. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to be away from her. Yeah. You so gotta I have hurry. to run faster so my runs <laughs> are shorter. back. No, she's extremely supportive of what I do, um, despite the enormous amount of time it takes to prepare mm-hmm. for what I like to do. Um, you know, if you're going to survive a hundred mile race, you have to put in the work ahead of time. You have to put in 50, 60, 70 mile weeks, like week after week after week after week. And it's like, you know, during my peak training for Burning River this year, it felt like all I did was eat, sleep, run, and work. Mm-hmm. That was it. Like, and you were also throwing in strength training classes, right? Going to Muscles for Mileage with yes. Rossi. Yeah, I go. I go see Josh every Monday with the class. Um, I feel like once you get into longer stuff, like you can running fitness, I think will only get you so far. I mean, everybody's different, so some people cannot do a lick of strength training and still excel at the longer distances, but I thought, logically, if I was going to start being out there six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus hours, um, when you start to fatigue, you stop picking up your feet, your form breaks, you become more inefficient, and it just beats you up even more. And so, like, you need to have, like, strong arms and shoulders and core and back, and, like, you want to have strong hips and all your stabilizing muscles, especially for trail running. You want to have, you know, strong um, stabilizing muscles. Otherwise, you're going to get fatigued, you're going to cramp, and you're going to get beat up. So You kind of look like me at yeah, Twisted and Branch, just, Mile 30. You, know, you, can, you can tell. Like, So I started going to him when I started training for my first 50-miler way back in you know, 12 um, as a way to supplement the fitness I was getting from running. And it's still, you know, I, I for a while I would go maybe one or two extra days a week and kind of do some weight stuff just to supplement all that. But um, it's really for the bulk of it just been one day a week of that strength stuff you know 75 minutes 90 minutes whatever and it's you know it helps me handle the high mileage training helps me recover quicker and you know keeps me fit enough to handle 
late race miles. Um, the thing I noticed over this year, I mean, when when we'd be running, the, the few times we ran on just little group runs or something, there'd be, say, a log across the trail. And most people will stop and they're, you know, running their cadence. They'll stop to put one leg over the log and another leg over the log and go back running. You just put a hand on the log and basically hop over it. You don't break stride. You got ups to just jump over a log. You pull pull everything together up and over and keep going. Yeah. And and a lot of that I think is, you know, yeah. that's all non-running fitness. Like right. that's weights and squats and deadlifts and all that stuff like, you know, and and the best thing about going to work with Josh is he's a runner. Like mm-hmm. he's run 50 milers, he's run Pikes Peak, he's you know, run 90 minute half marathons, he's run 18 minute 5Ks. Like he he's run all the different distances, road, trail, and he gets it. So he like, when I tell him, hey, I'm tra- I'm plant training for a 50 miler. I need supplemental fitness from running to kind of get through it. And he's like, okay, I've done a 50 miler. I know what that's like. I know what I know what I need to do to get you into shape. And mm-hmm. you know, he's also incredibly smart with all of the gym stuff. So like, if I just go see a trainer who doesn't run and I tell them what I'm doing, they're just like, you're gonna run 50 miles? Like why? Like what the mm-hmm. hell? You know, Pick this thing up over yeah, here. So yeah. So it, it's it's nice to know that he has the running knowledge as well as the gym knowledge to get me where I need to be. Um, you know, and it's, it's all, it's fun. Class is fun. I, you know, I, I enjoy it quite a bit, but if I want to know, like, how does this help me running? He will break it down in scientific terms. Like this opens up your kinetic chain and da 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 and like mm-hmm. he'll explain exactly why it's helping you and how it helps you and why you need it and you know i got to a point where i just stopped asking because right you can trust, I trust them now. and i know that and you know enough we're doing it, it for a reason i'm in a class with a bunch of runners and it's all running mm-hmm. specific so i just stop asking and just have fun with it and yeah i think it's been a, a huge part of my success over the last you know four or five years once since i started going longer yeah so you got, like you said, you got 70 miles, you're running four or five days a week, and you got your Monday strength training going on, you got work. Um, so yeah, a full, full calendar. Yeah, but it's, it's tough. It's tough to juggle everything. And like, you know, there were definitely times, especially with Margaret, where I was like, I feel like I'm being a bad boyfriend because I'm, you know, because I work till five, I get out, I have to run 10, 12 miles on the trails. Mm-hmm. I clean up, I eat dinner, it's like nine thirty, ten o'clock. Yeah. Like you know, and she's going to bed in the next hour or so, so it's you know, unless I wake up and run for, you know, two plus hours before work, mm-hmm. it's hard to kinda of juggle everything. But, you know, like I said, she's been incredibly supportive and understanding. Um she also appreciates an early A race date. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, August's you know, if I you know That's one thing we talked about after Twisted was that eating up our summer mm-hmm. while you're t- when you're training we can't do anything we can't take trips we can't go camping i mean we, we can but it's a lot harder and a lot more complicated right because you're yeah. going to go run for eight hours on yeah. your saturday that's one of the things that i did this this summer i was like okay i'm going to do less races to spend more time with family which i did i did less races and i spent more time with family but that meant fourth of july we were camping and I'm like, I should be putting in a 20 and a 10. Yeah, and instead, I'm putting in an 8 and a 4. Yeah, yeah. and that's six yeah. weeks out from your goal race. Yeah. That should be like borderline mm-hmm. peak. 
Yeah. You know, so and, but I made those I made those call like no, we're we're going family camping this weekend and, yeah. and that's the trade off I have and so yeah, a lot of that suffered. I think a late summer ultra is hard. Uh, it's hard on the scheduling and everything. Yeah. And when I was single, I never had to check with anybody else about what races I wanted to do and when and where. Like, I'm going Trans Rockies. I'm going to Colorado for ten days. I'm going to run in the mountains for six of them, and it's going to be the best thing ever. And like, you just you just go do you it. You just pay for the race and you get your gear and you go. You know, but it, it now it's there's you know I'm not only having to take myself into consideration for this stuff. So. I mean, you know the, that January, February, March time of the year where everyone starts freaking out and signing up for everything and, like, mm-hmm. getting all these grand plans for, like, the summer? Well, like, you know, there was a lot of dialogue about going to Oil Creek. And I thought that would be a good option, but it's in November? October? October, yeah. So that's late in the year. So if I'm going to train for four or five months, that's just, that is the summer. Mm-hmm. Just gone. You know, yep. and I think the early date of Burning River, early August. You know, yeah, it's going to be hot, but as of August seventh, my year is over. Right. I mean, for, well, and what's interesting though is you ran Cayuga Fifty, which in itself could be an A race for a lot of people, and that's in June. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so June June fourth this year, I, I know. I felt like, okay, I, I did a 50-miler in June. That means I'm pretty set up for the August races because I'm already hitting a 50-miler. Yeah, and that's exactly why I ran Cayuga. Um, you know, it, it had kind of been on my radar since they had started it, you know, four years ago or whenever they started it. And um, it kind of worked out this year that it would have been a good tune-up, not tune-up, but test of fitness. Just, you mm-hmm. know, if I can run 50 miles relatively easily two months out, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm in a good place for the hundred, and and so that's and you were in plan. a good yeah. place. <laughs> I, mean, I, I definitely I battled at the race. Um, I dealt with some cramping and it slowed me down a bit. But um, you know, I just buckled down and dealt with it and finished. You know, just over eleven hours. Um, the race could have gone better, but I was happy. I'll, I'll you know I'll be a little beat up. Um, but the best part about that race was I took. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, and then I was back at Medved on Wednesday for the Wednesday run and mm-hmm. was fine. Wow, just so, like that. Uh, you know, it yeah. wasn't so much that I had the race of my life at Cayuga, which I definitely didn't, but three days recovery and right back into training for Burning River. So, like, the recovery and, like, the fitness was mm-hmm. definitely there. Um, so, even though I didn't run the race that I necessarily am capable of or thought I could have run, um, it did exactly what it needed to do. Like I mm-hmm. had some, you know, if anything, it helped me out more because it made me grind a low point and get through some really tough miles, um, which was obviously going to be the case in Burning River at some point. Um, so it was good. Yeah. So then we're, you know, that's June 4th. And then, like you said, uh, going into Burning River, August 6th. Now we had a whole crew go down to Burning River and again, you had, as we covered, you had Margaret as your crew. Margaret was like the main crew, but I also had um, Mike Ryan and his wife, Kristen Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, come out and support me as well. Um, you know, Margaret was, you know, we had done this twice before. Um, Mike and Kristen had never really crewed for me. They've kind of crewed for each other. And so, like, they were familiar. They've run wrong races. They kind of, they know, yeah. they know 
what to do. But um, but those three were were pretty much there for me. And Mike and Kristen also doubled up and did pacing duties as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, between Laura and I, you know, we were rolling ten deep. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. I mean, there was yep. there was a lot of people. And there so we got together and we sort of set up a pacer plan because we had all these people and everybody's like, I'm going to pace, I'm going to crew, I'm going to pace, I'm going to crew. And um, so you had a plan of um, Kristen first yep. and then Mike and yep. then Mike Weldon. Yes. So you had a guy who ran the race previously yeah. the year before. You listened to his podcast, you knew his mindset, yep. and you had him for the last 25 miles of the race. Yes. So that was sort of your your setup. Yeah. Um, well, I just figured with the 100-mile distance, um, I had tried it once before in Leadville, um, missed a cutoff, coming back over Hope Pass. It still stings because I it's, it's literally my only DNF. Um, I guess if I'm going to have one DNF, that's a good one to have. Um, you know, but I there's so many unknowns for the distance for me that I wanted to try to control what I could control. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't control the weather. I can't control the distance. I can't control the course. There's nothing I can do about it. But I can control who my pacers are when I pick them up, and I can, you know, let them know, you know, what I want and you know how this is all going to work out or whatever. So I wanted to try to control that as much as I could. Um, and so yeah, I wanted to know who I was going to get and when. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was yeah. Chris was um, fifty to. I think 66. 62. 60. Was it? Yeah, let's consult the chart. Nathan Schultz. So um, I remember you had talked about your um, your night on Hope Pass, and you had said, you know, there's a lot of salvaging that because of the evening and who you spent it with. And yeah. The fact that you're under a million stars and, you it know, you had fake. done 100K. Right, and so you you are taking something. I'm I'm asking because I just had my first DNF last week, and yeah. so I'm like, I'm sitting there going, ah, you know, I'm only not happy about the last five minutes. Everything else, I did what I, and then you think about it more, and you're like, well, no, yeah. I could have did something else. Here like or I said, there. I Leadville definitely like. There's times where I think back, and I'm like, I still I still am like, I still can't believe I didn't finish. Like, I. Nailed my training. I was in incredible shape, and I don't feel like I executed anything poorly while I was there. Mm-hmm. But obviously, something went wrong because I didn't right. finish. But you know, at the time, it was the farthest distance I had gone. Um, my farthest run at that point was a fifty miler, and I had gone like sixty two or whatever, hundred k. I think Twin Lakes two is at sixty miles, so I had gone farther than I had ever gone. There's a success right there. Um, I think I had climbed probably at that point like over 10,000 feet total, um, which was more than I'd ever climbed at a single clip. And then the time on feet, um, I got to the turnaround in just less than 14 hours. And I think by the time I was all said and done, it was a little over 20 hours on my feet. So time on feet was almost twice as long as my previous max. Right, all PRs. So, ran farther, climbed more on my feet for longer than I ever have been. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's hard, it's it's easy to say, well, but I didn't finish the race, so I failed. And like, you know, like I said, it still stings a little bit, but I definitely don't, didn't look at it as a failure. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I got to go over Hope Pass with one of my best friends at night 
on like a comically clear sky starry night mm-hmm. where it looked like super fake and it was just calm and peaceful and quiet and gorgeous and amazing and like that yeah. will never not happen right so you know it's hard to look back at the race as a failure um i mean i guess i technically failed to finish the race but right. outside of that there was tons of valuable experience to gain and you know it also helped that burning river big time because the first uncharted territory was really like anything after 20 hours on my feet and so because even when I got to a farther distance than I had ever been, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm farther along than I've ever been, but I've still been on my feet longer than this on a single effort. So, right. you know, it was less scary being like, well, I know I've gone 20 hours up in the mountains in Colorado and right. survived. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like in Ohio, I can also do that and then some more. Right. So it definitely gave me some perspective that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Right, oh, and, and the other thing you mentioned is you had had the perspective of doing really well at 100K distance in Twisted Branch. So you had that sort of level of confidence of, oh, like 100K, I, I can do that now, yeah. easy peasy, yeah, absolutely. In, in a way. <laughs> I wouldn't say Twisted was easy peasy, no. but... Um, yeah, I looked, wouldn't say it was easy I looked, peasy. I looked at it from where I was sitting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know at the time it was definitely... I don't know, I can look back on it and be like, yeah, that was... It wasn't too bad, but there were definitely some really bad low points. Well, after he finished the race and he was chafed and couldn't move, he said to me, I don't think I want to do this again. Yeah, we all say that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then the next day, (laughs) it was a completely different story. Yeah, so with how how hard I thought Twisted Branch was last year, I'm like, oh, that was really hard. A lot of things went wrong. I could do so much better next year. You know, I could not stop at the aid stations eight times, spend almost two hours in aid stations. I, I can breeze through it. No, actually, now doing it this year, I have perspective on how much actually went right last year. Mm-hmm. So much went right when I'm sitting there thinking about, oh, these few little things went wrong. I got lucky last year is, is what I've come to believe now with a week and a half of perspective. I got really lucky i guess it's only a week it was this time last week um yeah so twisted branch sort of let me finish last year in a way um yeah it's a tough course that's yeah. a tough it's an amazing race and it's awesome trails and it's a great event but i don't think i want to I, I don't i don't have any urge to go back and run it again because mm-hmm. i feel like i did it. i'm happy with what i accomplished when i was there yeah and it was really cool to be a part of it this year on at an aid station to kind of see it unfold from the other side of the table. Yeah, it would have been nice to come in and actually greet you with a, with a smile. That would yeah. have been neat, but, you know. Yeah, we were, we were in a tough place. At I, th- I, think, I think everybody was in a tough place. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I meant literally we were in a tough place, like yeah. distance-wise, but yeah, that was... Yeah, there was a lot of carnage out there, and it was uh, it was a tough day. Yep, but um, you had that confidence of that hundred k success, so all of a sudden sign up for the hundred miler. Why not, right? Yeah, and um, so we we keep almost getting to the start line, but um, <laughs> so one of the funniest things about that start line the the six a.m. start, um, right? Yeah, six a.m. start. Of what? Uh, not burning. No, sorry, it's four a.m. start. Four a.m. burning river. Yeah. Right. 4 a.m. start was we we had all came over from the hotel, which wasn't too far away. Um, and then 
as you were walking over to the start line, you, you had left and Margaret forgot to take a picture of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She came over to me. She's like in the crowd of starters, like seconds before the race was about to start. The picture on my cell phone actually says exactly 4 a.m., which is when so I think they started the race as I took the picture. Yeah. And I was definitely, I mean, it was kind of just like, all right, I'm going to go do this race. Like, I'm in the zone. I'm in, in race zone. zone. And then she comes over, no, babe, I got to take a picture real quick. And I was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> That's the one thing I, I realized like, that I I haven't taken a lot of pictures before, so I wanted to try so, to. Which is good. And you also had a lot of people that weren't there that wanted to see you and know how you were doing. Yeah, yeah all the Dano, the Dano Fanos. Yeah, yeah the Dano <laughs> So, um, yeah, so she takes that picture of you. Yeah. And then... Um, Happily for for me, we got to spend a better part of the day together, kind of going from station to station. Um, and like you said, she had a plan for for every A station, and and we would sort of consult in between. She's like, "Okay, we're going to mile twelve. You know, I don't think he's going to need this. I don't think he's going to need. What about this? Do you think he's? You know?" And she had like she was making plans in between each of the aid stations. Yeah sort of ready to go yeah she's a free i learned a lot from ends of longer races like ends of muddy and and some of the other marathon trail races and how there there were moments where like i'd put a wet cloth on you and you would like kind of scream yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you're dripping in sweat but you like you can't so i kind of stored all that stuff in the back of my mind and well yeah i mean it's it's weird what you like at certain points in the race, and then as qu- as quickly and as much as you like it, you hate it. Yeah. yeah. Like, for the whole first half of Burning River, you gave me grapes at every time, every crew aid station, and they were the most refreshing, best things ever. And then, at some point after mile 50... You were like, here's some grapes, babe. And I'm like, ugh, no more grapes. Like, <laughs> with so much, like, dripping with disdain. Yes, like, all you got is... things <laughs> away from me. And she's like, oh. Like, she doesn't know what I've gone through on the trail where yeah. I transitioned from grapes are amazing to ew. Yeah. And, like, throwing the grapes in the river and being like, I never want to eat a grape again. <laughs> yep. Like, it just, I got to a point where I was like, now they're just annoying and I don't want them anymore. Yeah, but, all like, you got she is doesn't see the move. transition. She just gets... <laughs> The other side of the coin, when I get to the aid station, I'm like, no, these are disgusting. Get these away from me. And it's like, oh, well, you've been... Okay. Just <laughs> take logic out of it. Don't try to figure it out. Yeah. And that's, that's just... It's hard, because yeah. I don't know... It's hard to tell her what I want when I don't know what I'm going to want. Oh, yeah. So you that's just, you right, have yeah. to have everything kind of ready. Yep. And not take offense when one thing yeah. is turned and down. I, and I know yeah. that I was crabby with a lot of people during the race, because it's just... It's a strenuous, stressful... Mm-hmm day and night and day yeah that's where the thing. it's just you know but you were you were a little chipper in the early miles you're okay well yeah i mean the first half of the race i was mm-hmm. cruising yeah the second half was more of a grind yeah you had a 10 hour first half 10 30 yep 10 30 for 50 miles and and i was going conservative too mm-hmm. i was like i gotta chill like this is mm-hmm. uh, i'm gonna kill myself if i keep yep. going you were going too way fast. faster than i thought you would yeah. The first half. 
I almost missed you at an aid station because you were going so fast. And um, so one of the other things that Margaret had that she said she sort of insisted upon you, forced it upon you, was the the cold towel that you have, that Mm -hmm. cooling towel. Yeah, that thing's awesome. She said she wanted to think of a a unique gift to get you that you didn't have, and you already had 100 pairs of shoes and blah, blah, blah. So she came up with this cold towel. Yeah, that thing's awesome. Well, I gave it to you, and you were like, oh, thanks. (laughs) And then I had it for you at... Twisted? No, it was after Twisted that I got for, I think, at Cayuga, and you're like, this thing is awesome! <laughs> yeah. And now you love it. You get it. it wet, and it's just, it's an ice cold. Well, I also. Towel. Yeah. It, it, it like, it like not, holds the cold a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but it's longer. not just, yeah, and like it's a mission Endura towel, Endura cool towel, something or other. So, yeah, there's like, the, there's technology that keeps it cold. But, yeah. you know, when you're burning up at a race, and it's a thousand degrees like a yep. ice cold towel on your forehead is awesome and it's yep. not ice like at one of the aid stations i was running with Kristen. we were somewhere in the 60s and mm-hmm. i get to an aid station and it's just mid it's midday it's blazing hot and one of the aid station volunteers was like do you want me to put some ice like on your back like to cool you off and i was like yeah i'm dying like i mean i was taking my shirt off every you know six to eight miles and wringing it out because it was just completely mm. drenched in sweat and it was just it was bad so i was like yeah that sounds refreshing she pours i swear it was like dry ice i don't know what it was <laughs> but it was so cold that it like made me it like made my heart skip a beat and like i had like jerked away because it was so incredibly cold and i was just like oh my god like yeah, get what, this thing what away did you from do me. yeah like it was not refreshing at all it was actually like stressful but, like, the towel is just cold, not freezing, not mm-hmm. painfully cold, but it's just, like, cool and refreshing, and it's, like, it's awesome. So, yeah. I think having that thing handy is, yeah, it's really yeah. great. Everyone is very different looking uh, from the outside in at other people crewing and people coming in. Like, everyone wants their specific food at their specific time, and some mm-hmm. people want ice down their back, and other people don't, and... It's, everyone is super specific, so you can yeah. never assume what That was one another thing wants. that I was doing at the aid stations in Burning River, is I was putting ice in my pockets of my shorts and just letting like the ice sit against my hips, and then it would just mm-hmm. melt and run down my legs. Mm-hmm. And But then you changed your shorts at one point, and you tried to put it in a different pair of shorts, and you're like, this is horrible, I hate yeah, this. Yeah, because <laughs> the pockets were in different spots, so the water was just dripping all over my shoes and making my feet wet. And I was like, get these, get this ice out of here. God, this is killing me. <laughs> that is you know, awesome. But like up until that point, it was the absolute best thing ever. Every aid yeah. station I'd go into. You're like, I'm a genius. Fill this my pack sound. with ice, top it off with water, and then fill these pockets with ice. And I'd go out, and like my back would be cool with my pack on, and then I had pockets full of ice and it was amazing yeah i'm a genius yeah and i switch shorts and like there's just regular slant pockets on the side and yeah there's just water dripping all over my shoes and i'm like all right this is not gonna work so no more ice for the better half of the second part of the race but and we had brought uh freezy pops so we had the block we had a block of dry ice so we had fresh freezy pops throughout the day yeah which i i thought was um we were the only ones with the fresh freezy pops. Lots of people had freezy pops that were juice. Yeah. Because you can't uh, you can't keep them cold. I it's mean, it's hard to. Yeah. So we had we were rotating those in and out, and she would. We there was one point where I she's like, "Do you got more of the freezy pops?" So I took them out and I gave her like you know four or five of them. She goes, "Oh no, not these colors. <laughs> give, me give me a yeah. different set." So she was all the way down to the color of the not freezy only, pop yeah. that you were gonna eat. Yeah. So, I mean. I, 
yeah. You, she was vigilant. <laughs> yeah, the freeze pops are good. It's just sugar and cold, mm-hmm. and it's not just like chewing on ice. Yep. So I don't think I ate a ton of them during the race, but I know when I had them, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, it's just... These it's, definitely hit the spot. Sometimes you don't want to hold them, and you want to be like, ah, uh, you know, but... They, they are they're yeah. a good way to get cold. On a into hot day, they are definitely incredible. I remember getting them at um, the Trails Rock Aid Station at Cayuga, and it was like the best thing ever. Yeah, I just I saw someone with one. I'm like, "Ooh, are there freeze pops here?" And yeah. someone just yells, "Get Daniel a freeze pop!" And then like <laughs> I just stood there, and two seconds later, I had a freeze pop in my hand. So that it was, was by far the best aid station. Yeah, it was amazing. Ever. And yeah. like were, Trails Rock knows how to run an aid station yeah buttermilk falls yeah it was amazing they and, and i and i walked a talented bunch of people up the stairs out of buttermilk like i think i had a freeze pop in one hand and a wrap in the other and i was just yeah eating all this good stuff and it was amazing yeah it was the awesome. thing and the thing i love about it is it's placed at the end of the run so you're running 12 and a half miles to buttermilk and you're like, oh, I'll just run back to the start. And then when you're at the start, you're like, hey, it's only 12 and a half miles to buttermilk. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice beacon at the end of the race. Yeah. Um, okay, so we sort of we bounced up to 50 pretty easily. You want to you spend time between 50 and uh, 99? Yeah. I mean, 50, the first 50 went pretty well. I, I mean, went really well. I didn't really hit a low point. Until somewhere in the 40s, Mike insisted I was going to feel terrible at 50K, and I somehow just ignored him and breezed right through it. Um, there were a couple monotonous parts, and I that kind of did some run walking, but most of the first half of the race went without incident. Uh, I did get stung by a bee at mile 20. That was kind of annoying. <laughs> I was walking out of an aid station, the one where I almost missed Margaret. I was eating a wrap, walking around this little pond before the trail picked up, and all of a sudden, my leg felt like it was on fire. Um, so I started frantically swatting at nothing because mm-hmm. the Cause thing the just gone. yeah the thing just dive bombed and bounced. But um, yeah, it like hurt incredibly, and I was swatting away and was just cursing to myself and was like, "What the?" Yeah, you know. Luckily, I'm not allergic, so it was kind of uncomfortable for maybe the next mile or so and then I just kind of forgot about it. And I it can't fine. even imagine if you're if you're allergic and you got to carry the EpiPen in your <sighs> yeah. pack and So it was uh that was kind of annoying but it was just kind of this random thing. Um but and I want to say I don't know if it was that aid station. There was one aid station where you had said you were trying to put bug spray on me and I was like, yeah. "No, I don't need it. I haven't seen a bug like all day." And then like I get stung by a bee. I was like, "Uh." Yeah, well. Oops. Hey, so, that that whole thing about listening to your crew, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the first half of the race went pretty much without incident. Um, I had a low point in the forties and I was walking up a hill and, uh, a female runner came up behind me and I just moved out of the way to let her go by. And she looks at me and goes, is your name Dan? And I was like, yes, it is. I'm like, I know you, you're Katie. It was Katie DeRusso who had been behind me the first 40 miles and then was moving up. She was coasting like... Uh, and and you know people were making comments about she's going really easy she could totally crush this race and she is just coasting why is she coasting and I'm like well because she can co- crush this race because you're because, supposed to yeah like, because she's smart yeah so um so that was kind of cool to bump into somebody that I didn't even know she was running the race like I didn't really look yeah. at the registration list so I didn't really know who was going to be there or what was happening um and the funny thing is at an aid station prior to that I had seen Nate Huckle who was there to pace her. Mm-hmm. 
but I didn't know that. It so I just saw Huckle, and he just happened. To, I didn't bother asking why he was there or what was going on. Was, I just was yeah. like, oh, hey, and we chatted for a minute, and then that was it. We were at that one because you came in, and you're like, hey, Huckle's here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I didn't really know until I saw Katie, and we kind of chatted. But I was at a low point then and was completely alone, and then she came up, and we started chit-chatting. And then I just said to myself, I'm just going to do whatever she does and just try to keep the conversation going and just see what happens. And Mm -hmm. we ran, it was probably like two and a half, three miles. um, But it got me to the aid station at 46, um, which would have been a grind without it. And yeah, we just chatted and ran. And like if she walked, I walked. If she ran, I ran. And it really kind of got me. Not only did it keep me moving where I probably otherwise would have been walking, but the conversation made me really think how excited I was to pick up a pacer in five oh, yeah. short miles. Yeah. You know, like I knew they were there, but like talking to someone that I kind of knew and like interacting with someone more than just like, Oh, Hey, like, what do you, how, how's your race going? You know, like, yeah, it was, you know, we, you know, we ran some of twisted together and you know, so we kind of had a, 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 not a lot of history, but I mean, we had oh, run no. together before. So there was like yeah. something there and it was, it, it, you know, she really helped keep me positive. Um, and then when I came into 50, yeah, I was like in good spirits. So the first half went pretty well. And then, you know, the second half. Um, took, the second half was a little bit slower. Yeah, second half was a lot slower. Like So 18, 18 yeah. hours. Yeah, I it, at one point at mile, th- I think I was 33 miles in, and I looked at my watch, and elapsed time was six hours. And I was like, okay, I'm a third of the way through this race. And I'm comfortably running <laughs> six hours. I was like, yeah. obviously, I'm not going to run this in 18 hours. Like, yeah. I know that yeah. I'm not that caliber of runner or even remotely close. And that's like the winning time. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I know that this is unsustainable, but I feel good. I'm healthy. I'm in good spirits. Nothing, you know, knock on wood has gone wrong. So I started doing some math which is sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. It's all you got to do out there, right? But I started thinking, I was like, all right, 33 miles is roughly a 50K. I was like, I've run six hours, so if I can run back-to-back nine-hour, like, 33-mile stretches, I'm like, nine hours for 33 miles. I'm like, that's an incredible amount of time. I'm thinking, like, if I do that, like, I'll break 24. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. Like that's it's like breaking it down into like manageable chunks. Yeah. Not like I have to run sixty six miles in this time. It's like okay, right. I just did this. I just yeah. got to do it again. Except I got way more time to do it. Yeah. So I started thinking in my head like, all right, let's, all right. I, like it kind of made me happy and kind of gave me something to and shoot that, for and focus that, on. And was that the first time that you thought of the sub twenty four hour goal? Yeah, I mean, before the race, you know, people always ask, "What are you shooting for? We want to do and, and like. You know, I, I always kind of said something along the lines of like a perfect day would be 24, 25 hours. Mm-hmm. But like everything would have to go perfectly and everything would have to be like in line and, and, and be perfect. But have to have the right level of cool in the towel. Yeah, you have like, to have the right number of grapes in your hand. Yeah. And just like food cooperate, stomach, body, weather, everything mm-hmm. just has to work out perfectly. And, you know, I, I knew that that was a possibility, but I wasn't like going to be disappointed if it didn't happen so mm-hmm. you know the goal was always like i want to finish like i tried one of these before and i didn't finish so my goal was like i want to finish but obviously the sooner the better um you know at that point i thought wow that's like i feel like that's really achievable like i know it's still early and a lot can happen i was like but nine hours like i feel like i could hike most of that mm-hmm. and like still be 
close, like in the ballpark. And so I kind of thought that and was thinking that it was definitely a possibility. And then, I don't know, like, I think the terrain got harder. The miles started to wear on me. The sun went down. And, like, I think all of those things combined kind of just took a lot more out of me than I was anticipating. Um, not that I thought a 100-mile race was going to be easy, but, like, mm-hmm. the second half of the race was much harder than I thought it was going to be. Given how easy the first half felt. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and like, it turned. Yeah, and I didn't think, like, I didn't. I don't think I did anything wrong in the first half of the race. I don't think I executed anything poorly. I don't think I paced. I mean, I might have been able to go out a little bit more conservative, but, like, I don't think what slowed me down in the second half had to do with what I did in the first half. Like, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I went after these downhills, and now my quads are exploded. Like, mm. you know, there was a point where I was running with Weldon, and we were in some terrible section with, like, technical downhills, and it was kind of like, you know when you're going downhill and you start walking and then momentum takes over, and you're like, I, I got to put the brakes on or I'm just going to run. Yeah. And, like, so a, a brisk walk turned into a run, mm-hmm. and we just started running this descent. And we get to the bottom, and he's just like, good descent. He's like, how are your quads? Like, your quads must be fine. Because yeah. did that hurt? And I'm like, no, it didn't hurt at all. And he's like, okay, so physically you're in good shape. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just overall fatigued. Yeah. And so, you know, so I didn't blow my quads out. I didn't, mm-hmm. like, knees were fine, ankles were fine. I wasn't cramping. My stomach was good. There was no major ailment that it was, like, keeping me from running. But, like, I was just beat. So the the place where I have a question, and we didn't get a chance to, to talk about this, was when you were with Mike Ryan from, you were going to be with him from, I think, 62 to 75, something 62 like that. 62 to 76, yes. Yeah. Or no, it was um, 66 to 76. But, but you were originally going to be with him. So you took three extra miles with him at some point. Right, like right. No, before. Chris. Chris was was fifty to sixty six. Mike was sixty six to seventy six, and then Mike Weldon was seventy six to the finish. Yeah, but Mike right. was having problems with his Achilles, so he didn't know if he would be able to. Run he wasn't whole. sure right. if he was gonna. He wanted to make sure there was an option for me for a pacer. Yeah. If he felt bad after six miles, right? He had been battling an Achilles that was kind of acting up yeah. on him. And he's like five six miles. I know I'm a okay. Ten, I'm not sure. So. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that Weldon was at 72 just in case right. we needed him to hop in early. And so. I think that that time around there is where, where at least to me, it seemed like you, you were having a lot longer stretch in between aid stations than, than was yes. expected. Yeah. Mike like, and I, our, our first section, Mike and I started running pretty well. And we were moving pretty good. And then I think the terrain got a little tougher and we had some hills to deal with. And, you know, I did a fair amount of walking. But it was the 72 to 76. So it was Pine Hollow 1 to Pine Hollow 2. Yeah. Where we had like a 3.8 mile stretch. Right. And it took you like almost and two it hours? Took forever. Yeah. And it was all, yeah. it was pretty much pitch black at this point. That's um, when it got dark. And during that stretch. I'm yeah. right before. 72 miles into the race. So even though everything is working fine, I'm still just beat. Yeah. It's dark. And this was, I, I don't know what the terrain specifically looked like i guess it would be on here yeah the- but um it was hilly and technical and 
really dark and I was really tired. And so there was just not a lot of stuff that I felt super comfortable running. Just like a full combination of yeah. like, and let's it, take it. Yeah. And I just, I, and it just seemingly never ended. I, 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 it was less than four miles and yeah, it took like two hours. Yeah. It seemed like that was a, that was a long stretch. And when you came in, you weren't quite the same person. Yeah. I remember spending a lot of time at the, at that aid station the second time around. I did, I think I did a full wardrobe change. Yeah. Um, in front of the big flashing strobe light. And yeah. I'm like, Dan, like, how, I'm like, Dan, how could you look at that light? You're like, huh? What? Yeah. I'm like, you're sitting in front so of like a strobe shoes, light. Shoes, socks, shorts, shirt, hat, like everything fresh. Um, yeah. Another interesting tidbit about that aid station is we walked from where you guys were stationed over to the timing mat to kind of get moving, Mike Weldon and I. And I get to the timing mat, and I look down, I'm not wearing my bib. Oh, because you had done a full They were on the old shorts, and I never took it off and put them on the fresh shorts. So I was yeah. just like, oh my God. Mike's like, what? I'm like, I'm not wearing a bib. And he's uh-huh. like, ah. So Gonna we had need to go, a number. So we had to like, yeah, so we had to like, you know, that slowed us down in a minute or two to go find the dirty clothes and get the bib off and get a bib on. Yeah. That could have been catastrophic had I got, you know, two, three miles down the trail and been like, That's oh it. my gosh. Yeah. What? So glad I noticed, but that, yeah, so that was just. That four-mile loop plus that aid station like change plus forgetting the bib was like just a, a big like two-and-a-half-hour fiasco that I was like, oh, my God. you know. And at that point, I was kind of thinking like, all right, I got a new pacer. Like He's been here before. He knows how I feel. He's been on this course. So let's just you know try to get moving. And, you know, but at that point, I was definitely thinking like how – like I have 30 miles to go. Like yeah. I feel terrible. Yeah, where I'm, is it going to come I'm from? I'm borderline not having fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to do this? You were just borderline not having fun. <laughs> yeah, because there—I mean, there were stretches with Mike where we ran some really fun sections, and you know, we were—I was definitely my spirits were fine, but it was just kind of like, oh my god, like this is never going to end. Like so, it's on a relative scale, Margaret. It's yeah. So I started with that Mike. That was that was the lowest point for me. Was that aid station? That was horrible because you. So the hard part about curling is that you see someone for a couple minutes and then you don't see them again for at least an hour to several hours. So you have no idea what happened, how they're doing, because you can't pick up enough information in those couple minutes to know what's going on during the time on the trail. And Dan is a perpetual optimist when he's running like he he can complain about stuff but he still sees the bright side in every other trail race i've ever been at he's still able to make a joke or to give me a hard time and that aid station there was none of that he was a different dan and it it was all i could think about was how is he going to get through 30 miles because you were chafing and yeah. you had a sweat rash, all which I thought I didn't know if that hurt you or not, but it looked horrible all down your leg. It looked worse than it was. Yeah, it looked. I, I, later, I found out again. So you, like I don't, I have yeah. very limited information. Well, no, it, you're you're correct. When he came that that second time, he was definitely a changed. That's why I asked the question yeah. about this eight because to me that was where we were like, what. The, it's four miles, right? We're like, he's doing yeah. 30 You've minute. never run that slow. It's like, yeah. he's doing 30-minute miles. Yeah. He's got to be sitting Because you think, like, you know, it's easy to look back now and think, like, four miles. Like, even if you're having a bad day, 
like 20 minute miles like so maybe an hour 20 mm-hmm. 90 minutes if it's like absolutely you're walking the whole thing mm-hmm. and it took me way longer than that and it was just like I don't know. It's like the hills because of because of nighttime, because of the fatigue, because of mm-hmm. all the miles and the technicality. Like walking up a relatively small hill, but like all that stuff piled on top of it, mm-hmm. you're just like plodding along up the hill, and it's just like oh my god. And then like you get to the top, and you it's like right back down, and it's technical, and like well, I don't want to run this because I'm gonna I'm gonna if I don't pick my feet up, I'm gonna catch a root, and I'm just gonna get pitched, and it's gonna yeah. be terrible. Yeah. So uh, I was like trying to be careful and. You know, even something as simple as a stream crossing, like, becomes trickier when you're doing it by headlamp versus when you can see the entire forest in front of you. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of, like, yeah, that was a tough section. That was a really tough section. I remember being not psyched, and you know, <laughs> yeah, Mike, not, was, Mike was awesome, psyched. and, um, you know, we definitely got through it, and we had the conversation going the whole time. Pacers, like, I would never have been able to finish this race without Pacers, like, I was talking to a ton of people during the front half of the race, and I asked them, you know, you got pacers lined up? And they're like, nah, I'm here alone. And I was just like, ugh, that just sounds really hard and annoying. Like, I mean, I guess if you're a vet and you just, this is what you do, like, that's fine. But I was like, I cannot wait to get my pacers. And, like, Mike and Kristen and Weldon, like, I I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Like, being alone in that physical place, like, in the woods just being in the, the woods at night. night and all technical and i feel terrible and uh. everything hurts and like being there alone like even if i was sitting there next to weldon and neither of us were saying anything i wasn't sitting there alone like there yeah. was somebody there who's kind of been in this place before and is like all right let's let's get moving you know yeah. like it it really i i, I never would have been able to i mean maybe who knows what would have happened but well i think you also picked i there may have been just as good of pacers but I thought you had the perfect pacers at the perfect time like Kristen was the perfect pacer to have at 50 yeah because she was she was chatty and she knew you and she's run with you before and she was all excited too she's like this is gonna be my longest run I'm so excited yeah (laughs) she was nervous too and she did great yeah she did awesome and then well except for except for that one mile that we ran together (laughs) at some point we we literally like I don't even know where it was. I could probably find it on the map somewhere. But we were running, and I had something on the bottom of my foot was, like, rubbing, and it wasn't feeling good. And I I think there was no stream that I had to walk through in this entire course. Everything was dry. Bone dry. So all the moisture in my feet was all sweat. And the the moisture goes away, and the salt remains, and the salt was kind of grinding into the bottom of my toes. And so we stopped. She had Aquaphor on her, so we stopped – I don't even think I was able to get my sock off. I had nothing to sit on, so I was on the ground and like trying to get my sock off. My legs started seizing, so she had to take my sock off and put my um, put Aquaphor on my toes and then help get my sock back on. And so that was a whole fiasco. We wasted like you know four or five minutes doing that. But we got up. I started running and we're cruising along. And I looked down at my watch and it says something like like current pace is like seven forty or something like that. And I was like. <laughs> What kind of pace do you have on your watch? She looks at her watch. She's like, oh, like 8.30? I was like, all right, that's probably right. I must have just lost satellite or something weird. I don't know. We're cruising along. It's this. It's a perfectly flat, perfectly straight, crushed stone trail with, like, rock fixture, like rock formations on one side and trees on the other covered. And we're just cruising along, chatting away. And my watch beeps, and it's like 7.40. 
<laughs> we're, I picked her up at 50. So we're somewhere between 50 and 66. I don't know exactly where. And I was like, what the? And she's like, what? And I just show her my watch. She looks over. She's like, oh, whoops. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whoops, pacer. I'm like, why are we running under eight-minute pace right now? She's like, I don't know. We're just running and talking. And I was like, I know, but she's like, All right, I probably should be more diligent about how fast we're running. I'm like, no, I... I I guess this eight minute mile, this seven forty helps offset, you know, the thirty minute mile we just had a little while ago. But I don't know. It was like, that I was think a pretty she funny, said, like, I can't remember, but I think she told me that she realized it before you did, and then she got like really scared, and but she didn't want to say anything because she didn't want to like <coughs> upset it or ruin it, like. Yeah. So somewhere in the sixties, we ticked off like a seven forty mile. Yeah. So you had more in it than you thought you did yeah, at that point. Yeah, and so I was like, all right, well, whatever. It's in the bank now. There's nothing we can do about it. But yeah. I was like, maybe we shouldn't run that fast anymore. <laughs> She's like, oh, well. But it was like, like I said, it was a, it, we, I had just rested for like five minutes getting my toes taken care of. Then it was crushed stone. It was flat, straight. There was cool stuff to look at. And it was totally shaded. So it was yeah. like the perfect formula for running mm-hmm. a fast mile. Well, it's but, faster, faster than one of your miles in your first 5K. Yeah, faster than all of faster than all of them. After you've crossed over your longest distance of 100k. Yeah, exactly. So nice. It was it was just funny. Like it Dan was a, o, it was, digging digging deep digging deep. Yeah, making my move <laughs> at mile 65 or whatever. So, but but yeah, it was. Um, and you said that the first the first leg of your run with Mike Ryan. You guys had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We had there was all these like huge rock formations that we got to run through. Awesome trails. Um, I also found 20 bucks on the trail, which was really awesome. <laughs> I was walking. We were they were going through a section, and then there were like these stone. There were stones, but they were steps, like up to this part of the trail. And I was trying not to run up super high things, just because I didn't want to trip or I didn't want to like you know cause a cramp or something. So I was like walking up, and I look down, and I see a five dollar bill folded in quarters. I'm like, ooh, five dollar bill. I pick it up. This is thicker than a five dollar bill. And I'm like, I unfold it and start peeling it away there's four or five dollar bills wow. like it must have been somebody's like emergency stash or something that was in like a water bottle or whatever and it just popped out and i was like looked around and like there's not a soul in sight and i was like all right just made 20 bucks nice <laughs> still so, in I, your shorts? so i threw it in my running shorts and no i got it out eventually uh, but but yeah so i found 20 bucks and we subsidized were subsidized that affordable we were both feeling good river. and we were running well and the trails were awesome and yeah it was it was good it was like a <clears throat> I definitely like a resurgence and like, mm-hmm. you get, like you know, it's easy to talk about the low points, but you know, there's definitely high points too, mm-hmm. where you're moving pretty well. So yeah, we we had a lot of fun there, and we 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 happened upon a, a hiker. He was out there with a big day pack on and hiking poles, and you know, I he was near a bench, and you know, this is a second half of the race. I was very excited about logs to benches. sit on, yeah, benches, benches and logs. And yeah, so, we're talking about making a coffee table book of great places to sit. Because I'd go by logs and I would like <laughs> judge them based upon their sit on ability, and yeah. like I would look at him like that one's too low or that one's too rough or it's it's rotted that's gonna break through or <laughs> so I, I had picked out some really good ones and like it was really hard to resist at this point a, an actual bench where I could with a back that I could just sit for a minute and like kind of regather my thoughts and so. We had stopped at this bench, and there was this hiker there, and, you know, he asked us, you know, he could see we're racing, and 
he asks us what we're doing and you know we tell him about the race and the distance and where we're at in the race and he just you know kind of looks at you like you know when a dog doesn't know what you're doing and it kind of mm-hmm. tilts his head and he's like wait a hundred miles and you're what you're where like 70 miles like what what <laughs> you know trying to figure it out trying to figure out logically why somebody would do it and um so we chat with him for a few minutes which was cool so yeah there was a lot of you know really you know a lot of fun stuff that happened well, you know, Hobbs said he couldn't he couldn't resist the bench during Laurel Highlands. Oh man, like yeah. they were it was insane. Like I, I'm sure my Pacers were like, oh, let's just keep, let's just keep moving. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> right. you're not hurt, so don't. Why are you sitting down? But like, it's amazing how like sure you can be of how much you want to sit. Like, <laughs> I, I did a lot I am, less running. One hundred percent positive. Yeah, I did a lot less running in the second half of the race than I think I could have, but mm-hmm. like. I think in the end it just would have been more suffering. I, I, I don't. It's hard to. At the time, I was like, "We're not running. Right. Like, I'm I'm not running anymore. Like, I don't want to." You know, coming out of that aid station at 92, when I told you I didn't want to do the podcast the next day, I basically five seconds later said to Mike Weldon, "If we walk this in, 17, 18 minute miles, I'm like, am I making the cutoff?" And he was just like, "Dude." You could take a nap for an hour, and then yeah. we could walk it in, and you'll get your finish. And I was like, all right, I don't think I want to run anymore. And at this point, it's the sun's almost up, and it's a crushed stone mm-hmm. path that's, like, running on the canal. Like, yeah. it's probably, besides the first 12 miles on the road, it's the most runnable part of the course. And I wasn't injured, and I had some in the tank, and I probably could have run-walked, like, you know, run a half mile, walk a half mile, or whatever, and probably shaved an easy 30 to 45 minutes off. But, like, at that point, I was just like, okay, let's walk. Now, that's, like, um, 4 o'clock in the morning at that point, right? Something Around like that. The, yeah. I, it was during, it was after 92, before mm-hmm. 96. Yeah, it was somewhere. Or 7 around, or whatever, where the sun actually later than the that. sun actually came up. The it sun must have, came up at 90. The sun was up at 92. Um, no, it was dark. No, 92, 92 was the one. 92 was the guy with the megaphone. It was when we were, where we were all sitting right when they crossed over the line into the aid station. Yeah. So it was between 92 and 86. They got to see the second sunrise and it was such a, an easily runnable. Like if I had Kristen with me at that point, we probably would have ripped (laughs) sub eights all the way in and I would have finished two hours sooner. But I just... You're saying like, Weldon's a softie? Is that no, what you're saying? No. No, not at all. But there would be times where... This is like a perfect illustration of like where I was physically, where I could have run, but mentally I just didn't want to. We'd be walking, and Mike was completely content walking. He he was content with whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to sit on a log, we sat on a log. If I wanted to sit on a bench, I sat on a bench. If I wanted to run, I'd run. If I wanted to walk, I'd walk. Like He didn't try to force anything on me, which was nice. Um... But I think if he had been, I think if he had run more, I probably would have run more. Mm-hmm. Example, there were times where he'd be walking and he's like, I've never been so tired in my entire life. <laughs> like, I might just fall over. He's like, I'm going to run for a minute or two just to get my body yeah. moving. And then I'll just run back and then I'll keep walking with you. And he would start running. And I would, in my head, say to myself, oh, I'm not going to just make him run away and then run back to me. That's silly. So he'd start yeah. shuffling and I would start shuffling next to him. Yeah. Next thing you know, we take off a half mile, and I'm like, "All right, I'm good." Yeah. And we stop, and then like, right. 15 minutes later, he'd be like, "I'm nodding off. I, I gotta go." <laughs> and he'd start going, and I'd go. Right. You know, and if I if I had mentally not been so 
beaten down, I could have just said to him, hey, just keep doing this randomly for the rest of the race, and yeah. when you go, I'll go. Right. He kept saying he would he would fall asleep, and then he'd be like, I need to run to wake up. Yeah, and but every time he did that, I'd run right alongside him, and we would yeah. tick off maybe a third or a half mile. And so we had a couple, although we were primarily walking on these like crushed stone trails that were you know, very runnable, I, you know, instead of ticking away a 1730 walking mile, we'd have like a 1350 or a 1410. And it's mm-hmm. like, that so, I, so yeah. I could have run. I just mentally, I was just like, I don't care. Like at this point, I just want to finish yeah. and I want to try to save myself pain mm-hmm. and discomfort. And that's kind of the way. So we, I walked in almost most of the last 10 miles other than mm-hmm. a few random stretches to wake ourselves up. Um, was walking and you know yep. at and the Ma- time I was completely content with that so Margaret how does that sound to you falling asleep walking <laughs> I was it was when we were walking out of Botsum at 92 we were maybe a half mile two mile uh, half mile to a mile out of the aid station and we look over and there's a guy wearing running gear with a pack on and a bib just laying on one of the benches just sleeping mm-hmm and, I wonder. I and, wonder and if you like, would have took that hour nap. I wonder if you would have had like an hour nap. You would have woke up refreshed. And yeah, probably not. Made that hour back. No, because as the race wore on, the longer I sat, the harder it was to get moving again. Yeah. So it was like all I want to do is sit, but then when you're done sitting and you got to get moving again, you're like, oh, why did I stop? And uh-huh. so you got to get yourself going again. So I don't think it would have been beneficial to do that. But we saw literally saw a guy who was just like, I'm passing out on this bench. That's like it. I have never been that tired yeah there was a guy who went to sleep in the gully at twisted branch after the muddy sneaker finish like around mile 18 you know he's like i won't walk and he's like i think i'm gonna take a nap and he walks over to the side of the road right right down half mile down the road from the muddy sneaker finish and just lays in the gully and (laughs) goes to sleep okay and i was like all right, dude. Do what you got to do, I guess. I, I, I mean, mean, whatever works for you, buddy. You know, we're kind of up against the clock here already. But Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, really weird, I mean, to think I could have run more. But it's like, in the big picture, do I say, okay, like, is 28 much different than 28, 46? Like, mm-hmm. is it worth, like... I mean, just because I could have run doesn't mean I would have enjoyed it. Like, I just mean I'm, I was physically capable of right. shuffling along at a 13-minute mile. Yeah. But like, it would have just meant getting to breakfast sooner. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure more running, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why I recovered so quickly. Like, when you run a 10-hour 50 and then you follow it up with, like, an 18-hour 50 for the second half of your race, like... I feel like I recovered from the first half of the race during the second half of the race because I did so much walking and didn't like really beat myself into the ground with running. Yeah. I feel like I was able to bounce back quicker because of that. And it's like, does it really matter that, you know, if I could have shaved a half hour by mm-hmm. shuffling along that last 10 miles, like, Oh, I ran twenty eight fifteen instead of twenty eight forty six. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you got all the lactic acid out of your muscles. It, yeah. In the second I don't know. Half. It's like, you know, in the grand scheme, it was like, I came here to get a finish. I got it. Yeah. You know, I survived. I lived to tell the tale. I didn't get hurt. Yeah. So it was a success, you know? So, so uh, obviously you had the, why am I doing this moment? Did you have the, uh, like, deep, dark epiphany of the soul? Like, I'm doing this for no good reason type thing? You or? know, I asked Mike somewhere in the 70s, you know, 
what kind of effect did finishing this race have on you last year? Like, you know, and he said something along the lines of, you know, for me, obviously this is going to be different for everybody. He's like, but for me, it was like I battled through my feet getting destroyed and all these things that went wrong and I just kind of grounded out and I got the finish and da 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 da. And he's like, and it, it's, he's like, it's hard to go back to like, running short regular races because like now you know you're capable of this you know like how can you go back to a dirt cheap when you know you can go do something like this you know like it kind of like bumped everything up to the next level and i was thinking like that makes perfect sense like you know why would i do these like short little things when i know i can go out here and have this like you know grand epic adventure in the woods for uh, an entire day so i was like okay that you know that makes sense and we kind of talked a little bit back and forth about that kind of stuff and you know, even now, like, I guess is we're, what are we, three weeks out? Three, yeah. Three weeks August, out from the finish? August 6th, yeah. Like, I can honestly say at this point, looking back, like, I don't feel any different. Like, I, I there was no epiphany. There was no life-changing moment. Like, I, I, I read race reports. I watch the interviews and all this stuff. And, you know, I, people talk about how training for and running races, like, changes their life and da-da-da-da-da. And you discover all these things about yourself and da 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 on and on and on and that's awesome like everybody has their own individual experience but like I am completely happy I did it I'm proud of myself for like succeeding where I had previously failed and everything but like I don't feel any different and I don't feel like okay I just changed this is a game changer like I changed how I'm going to view running moving forward like well, I feel maybe, exactly the same as I did before. Maybe I need more time for it to soak in or something. I don't well, maybe know. Maybe your change, maybe your change happened back on Hope Pass. Yeah, you know? I, I don't know because I, I honestly, I it, it already feels like an eternity away from. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like a, ages ago that I did the race. I'm, I'm already like figuring out. I, I guess like I don't know, maybe a part of it like if you collect anything, you it's like the thrill of the hunt, like. I've been looking for this forever and now I found it and then it just goes in the closet with the rest of your stuff and then you're on looking for the next one like I kind of feel like maybe that that's how I treat like I, I think I might like the process more than the race itself because like three weeks out I don't like I said no turning point no magic epiphany moment and I'm already kind of thinking like right now what, what, what do I want to do next like Burning Rivers in the rearview mirror I got the buckle mm-hmm. I got the stories is but next I, I, is next hundred miler or is it next in terms of like <coughs> no, adventure I, or so he said to me at mile seventy at ninety six he goes I don't want to do this again and I said can you guarantee that and I think even at that point I was like uh, I gave her some weird evasive answer because yeah. I, I just I know how we all are with this stuff mm-hmm. I did not have I a was lot hoping of, he would I did not have a lot of fun <laughs> at yes like, what you in, said in the bulk of the second half of the race the first half I had so much fun. Had some low points, but overall it was fun. Second half was a lot of grinding, a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, a lot of like, oh my God, how am I going to finish this? How am I going to get through this? Where is this like energy going to come from? Is it ever going to end? Like all these thoughts, you know, and then I finish and, you know, it's easy to say like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, but I've already in the short amount of time it's been since I finished, I said to, I went out to dinner with Margaret and my mother the other day and I said to them, guys, I've been having bad thoughts lately. <laughs> and they're like, "What? wait, what? what? What's the matter? And I was like, 
I think I can run a hundred miler faster than twenty eight forty six. And they're just like, Oh my god, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm not saying I want to do it like in the fall or you know, in April or whatever, next spring, but it's easy to look back on a race and think like what could I have done differently to do better, you know? And like I feel like I can run a hundred miler faster than twenty eight forty six. But what you said at 96, and but, even after, was that this isn't I don't, fun. I don't, yeah. and that's, Running is supposed to be fun. Yeah. So, I kind of think I want to, I want to do different, I want to run races I've never run. I want to do different stuff. Um, you know, I've, I mean, it's so, it's so soon, I don't know what I'm going to do next. But I've been thinking, like, I used to complain about, like, why, you know, why do race directors make the course as hard as absolutely possible? Like, Mm-hmm. The whole point of running is to run. Like I don't want to necessarily like run a go on race a course where I can't even run because it's so hard, you know. And now that I've run a hundred miles, I think wait maybe I do want that change. Like maybe I do want to like do a marathon, but have it take me seven or eight hours because the course is so hard. Because it's like a whole completely different kind of challenge, you know, like. I know, like, uh, Mort and uh, our buddy Tim Kent went out a couple of years ago and did the Call of the Wilds uh, trail marathon. It's in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It's, like, the same guys that do all the, like, Heiner and Rothrock and Eastern States and all that. End of the world. Yeah, and yep. it's a rugged, tough, you know, summer, East Coast, rocky marathon. Like, you know, my buddy Tim ran it. I want to say he ran seven and a half hours, which sounds... You know, based on, like, Segahunda and Ontario Summit times, it sounds like a long day. He got, like, top 20. You know, like, that was a good, that was, like, a strong showing for that race. And even the winners are running five-plus hours. So I think, well, maybe maybe something like that would be, like, kind of what I want to do next. Like, because I've already done, like, this real long-distance stuff. So maybe I do want to do some shorter, tougher stuff. Well, you have the fitness for it, right? I yeah. mean, you have all those other muscles you've been building. You know, and I keep hearing all these guys talking about all these races in the Catskills. Like, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I want to go do something like that, where I know it's a lot less runnable, but, like, it's a whole different world of, like, terrain and different kind of racing, different kind of running, and, it's like, a lot of scrambling, a lot of climbing, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, any stuff that I've done like that has been in short doses, but I've really enjoyed it. So, like, maybe I want to do something like that. So, you know, and then I think, well, I like running fast. Running fast is fun. Maybe I want to run, like, a, you know, a 125 half marathon on the road. Like, maybe I want to run a sub five minute mile or a sub 18 5K. Like, running fast is fun too, you know? So, it's like, I, I, kind of want to do some of that i want to qualify for boston and i want to run boston someday like to kind of check it off the list so i have all these things kind of swirling around in my head and i don't really know what i want to do next but you know it's nice to have options so i think right now you're really enjoying just running trails that are fun like you have already said like i had so much fun running today I ran a random trail and well, like if you look at the Victor hiking trails map, there's tons of trails sprinkled. It's not just the Seneca trail and like the stuff that offshoots it. Like there's a lot of other stuff that's kind of like a little bit more off the beaten path, but there's a lot of stuff out there. And I like, I wonder what this stuff is like. So the other day I ran at the Mary Francis bluebird Haven Hmm. and across the street from that, it's called the monkey run trails. Oh, somebody 
Hmm. It's right where Valentown Road ends. Yeah. At like I don't know what it's called at that point, but it's like Victor Road. It pretty much goes between Fairport and Victor. And I drove out there and I ran and there's like a one mile loop around the Bluebird Haven, which was really like a County Road Nine type uh, area, right? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like. That. Um, I re- there's a one one mile loop around the Bluebird Haven, which was super fun. Rolling hills, woods, single track, pines, like all kinds of fun stuff. Then you cross the street into the Monkey Run trails, and it's footbridges and streams and rolling hills and climbing and fun descents and some fun stuff back there. I got like four miles in, and I had a blast. I'm like, it was new trails. It was fun. There you go. It was awesome. Like, yeah. And I, there's nothing on the horizon that I need to prepare for. I can just, if I want to run three, four miles, I can just go do well, it. Well, chances are, while you're running those, that's when it's going to come to you. you yeah. Know? You're going to go out, you'll be running, you'll have fun, and you'll go, you know, I've always wanted to X. Yeah. And that's when you'll decide it. It's yeah. when you're out there having fun, not when you're sitting there reflecting on your greatest running achievements. Yeah. That's not going to help you set your next goal. And that's the thing. Like, like I said earlier, I have so many things swirling around in my head about what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. And like, I can't do all of it next, but like, I, I, there's just, there's so many different things I can do. Mm-hmm. Like, do I want to do a tough trail marathon or do I want to run a five minute mile on a track? Mm-hmm. Like, those couldn't be any more opposite. But, yeah, they're or, both intriguing and they both sound like fun prospects. Mm-hmm. So, or you can you know go hit a half pipe for a little while. Yeah, I do have to get out and skateboards <laughs> a little bit. I'm always afraid to skateboard while I'm training for an A race because like if I'm dorking around and tweaking an ankle and can't mm-hmm. run, I would be super. Well, so now you got the, about that, you got so. the whole fall to skate now. That's true. That's true. So. You know, we we are probably deep into this podcast, but I'd be remiss if I missed my opportunity to talk about Dano the skater from back in the day. Okay. So so skating was a big thing for you back in the day, right? Skating was like for what what running is now is what skating was then. Like I started when I was probably eleven or twelve. I literally bought a how to skateboard book. From a oh book my, fair at nerd. my grade school, I never knew nerd. that. Which Pose I, it. which I still have, awesome somewhere. And there's actually, I hopefully, bought it, it made the move into this apartment. It's some, eh, I think it's in my mom's basement, but I definitely oh. still have it. Um, it's got a stamp from the day that I bought it, so I can actually know the exact date <laughs> that you started. Skating. That I was like, skateboarding seems cool. I want to try this. Um, so that book is at home somewhere. But yeah, I started and. I was like 11 or 12, and yeah, I just, I just kind of fell in love with it. And like, that's the time when I stopped playing like traditional organized sports. Like, mm-hmm. I stopped playing baseball, stopped playing basketball. Like, cause I played, I grew up playing baseball and basketball. Like, I played basketball in high school, freshman year, all through se- sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I was playing baseball, summer league baseball, all that time. And as soon as you start, I started skating, all that stuff kind of fell by the wayside, and, mm-hmm. and skateboarding kind of took over full time. And yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. And you got pretty good at it, right? Like, yeah, it was pretty good. Like, like you had a little bit of a rep, right? Yeah, there's uh, there was a skate shop called Crudco. Um, yeah, it's still around. Still around that um, they put a shop team together, and I was like, I think might have been the second or third guy that Aaron Costa, the owner, asked uh, to ride for them, which was you know really cool at the time. So he'd help me out with um, you know clothes and discounts on shoes and boards and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and. I would help, in turn, I would help promote the shop, and we'd do demos, and we would do, like, skate camps, and we'd do instruction, and we'd volunteer, and we'd go all over the place and do all kinds of stuff, and uh, it was it was fun, and I, like, 
it was I, I, I still love skating a ton like I watch videos all the time I buy the new videos that come yes, out he like does. I like read gossip and articles and I want to know who's riding for what team and switching to this that and the other thing and who's sponsoring who like I still love that whole world um, I almost you know, think you read and watch videos more about skating than you do running. Uh, I'll probably do. Like, yeah. I, I watch skate videos probably more than I, like, read I Run Far. Like, just yeah. because. It's like, and I can't help but, you know, when I'm driving around or running around the city or doing anything, like, I'm still looking for skate spots. Like, even though I know I'm not going to skate them, like, I find, I've actually found skate spots running. Like, there are photos <laughs> that Mike Lesher took of me last summer um, skating a ledge, and he's shooting it from up on a bridge. And that's literally on Route 31 on the canal. And, like, the only way I ever would have found those ledges was running on the canal. And, like, I found them, and I was like, I got to shoot photos here sometime. It would be really cool. Mike and I went back and shot them, and they came out awesome. They did. They were pretty sweet. Yeah, so I love skating. And, yeah, it's, uh, I just don't do it as, you know, when when running came along, it, like, kind of, like, the passion that I once had for skating that had kind of been waning, like, running filled that void that like yeah. skating kind of left behind um and so yeah, i still love it but you know <laughs> running is kind of like where the passion is now and i never thought anything would come along to replace skating but running kind of has taken the front seat and you know i'm not naive enough to know that like something could come along and take running's place at some point i don't think it will but i never thought skating would mm-hmm. take a back seat so you know who knows mm-hmm. what'll happen down the road but but yeah, skateboarding is, is is amazing. And I think it helps me run too. Cuz like you have to be when you're cruising through like a downtown like area city, you have to watch out for cracks in the road, you got to look out for manhole covers, you got to look out for tar, you have to look out for cops who are want to arrest you because it's illegal. And then you have to look out for traffic, you got to look at pedestrians, you got to look out for people on bikes and you have to balance to figure out where your friends are. And you're also rolling on a skateboard and you're trying to do tricks and you're trying to like get to a certain area so like there's a lot going on all at once and i find that that situational awareness like totally helps me trail running like because i'm just i i know where my body's at i know like where my footfalls are gonna go like it's easy to spot lines it's easy to pick out like routes and stuff like you know i think a lot of that obviously balance comes Mm -hmm. from skating so like just knowing what i'm capable of also yeah, knowing taking you're not going to fall. Yeah, right? and like and also no taking falls. Like mm-hmm. I'll go jump down eight stairs for 2 hours trying the same trick over and over again and just land like a pile on the ground and then get up and do it again and get up and mm-hmm. do it again and again and again and again. So if I catch a root and I go down, like I like I've fallen on concrete a million times over the yeah. past 20 years, 25 years. So if I catch a root and go down on the trails like yeah, I'm I've seen probably that. not gonna get too beat up. No, I've and seen so, the old tuck the shoulder, roll and yeah, get back like, up and keep going. It doesn't seem like falling is a skill, but like it totally oh, is. It is. Like definitely. some people just go down like yep. sack of potatoes and you're like, Oh yep. my god. So I used to I used to skate once upon a time. Ooh. Yeah, when I like from twelve to seventeen. Ooh. I used to skate. So I had a good five years. Nice. But it was right before like it was so it was it was probably around the same time. I mean we're the same age. So it was like early nineties, yeah. you know, into the mid nineties. So I used to rock Steve Caballero born. Yes. So he that, still skates. Yep, he he's still in, does. He's in his fifties. He he's still kills it. Still young as ever. Yeah. Um, and so we would string together. We made our half pipes with the plywood and the fifty-five gallon drums. The yep. terrible, terrible half pipes. <laughs> um, we strung together a pipe, you know, with the um, 
and you had to you could do some rail slides but there was always a gap in the pipe so the the key was could you make it over, over the, the gap yeah, yeah over yeah. the little part where the pipe joined and stuff like that that's too funny somewhere out there there is a vhs that we we did record <laughs> oh my gosh there's a skate video yeah. somewhere that. well that's the thing that was cool is like crudco made skateboard videos and like the first one that they did um is like they did they didn't really have names they kind of had colors so there was black, there was orange, there was blue. Like the first one was black, and um, I have a full part in that. Um, I use a, a Beastie Boys instrumental song for the music, and um, there's a lot of like of my like tricks in there, and it's cool to have something like that to look back upon. Mm -hmm. um, that's as easy as popping in a DVD and not having to like, you know, dig through and because that stuff's I don't know like I and that's what's really cool. Like I, I mentioned earlier that Mike Lesher and I went out and shot photos last summer. Like. For as much skating as I did, not a lot of photos are out there. Right, because it was from like, then. like it's, it's almost just, it's right on the edge, right of the of when digital was starting. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, there was the you know occasional RIT students that skated that would shoot photos, and then all of the photos would disappear into like the RIT student vortex. Like they'd move back home, and everything would go, and I'd never get copies of anything or slides of anything, nothing, yeah. and so. Anything that was out there, like you know, very little of it survived, or it's just buried in some yeah. vault somewhere. So um, it was kind of cool to be able to go out with him and, and get some photos and be like, "Oh, sweet!" Like, yeah. So whenever I would take like a couple months off of skating and then finally like hop back on the board, the first thing I always tried to do was a kickflip. That was like the first. I, you know, some people hop on and they're like, "Oh, I can ollie this." That I would always. That would be the thing that I love. It's just a simple run-of-the-mill kickflip yeah do you have one of those like when you hop back on the board what's oh, the first yeah. trick you uh, rip off actually i think switch kickflips are easier like I, it took me forever to learn regular kickflips when i was a little kid yeah and like not that there's a right or wrong way to do them but like i think i learned switch kickflips the right way yeah and so like i don't have to think about them right whereas <laughs> everything like, else you hack together yeah like i could i mean there are some flip tricks that like I don't think I'll ever not be able to do. Like I think I'll be able to switch flip. Like we were in my garage not too long ago, and I was like, "Babe, what do you think? Switch flip, switch kick flip first try." I'm in like a pair of Vans that are just like chill shoes, and I haven't stepped on a board in months and months and months. And like I just stepped on it and like landed like three or four switch kick flips in a row. Like <laughs> they're just they're there. I mean like when we when Mike and I went skating to shoot photos, like I hadn't skated in months, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, I have some tricks I want to do." Like got a couple spots lined up and you know you knock the rust out and it's like the mm -hmm. tricks are still there so switch flips nollie flips are probably like the easiest uh 360 flips like i'll never not be able to do those like yeah. now um, are you were you um were you more into technical tricks or were you more into like big air tricks no nah, it's more like i like doing ledge stuff and i yeah. really like doing manual tricks like wheelies mm -hmm. um i used to it's just a lot of precision and uh, that stuff just I had shoulder issues when I was younger. Like, I dislocated my shoulder a bunch of times, and I got to the point where the bigger the stuff I tried to do, like, the bigger the flights of stairs or the bigger the gaps or whatever, I'd have to throw my arms up for balance, and it would, like, actually pop out and uh. dislocate. And so, like, that kind of <laughs> forced me to do a lot of low-impact stuff, like yeah. manuals and ledges, because, like, the like I wouldn't have to flail as much because it's more controlled movements. And then, like, once I got my shoulder fixed... I, I never like went back to like some of the bigger stuff. So right. now I just like skating ledges, doing manuals and just rolling around and having fun. Like I don't really, you know, I don't take it super serious, but 
I do like, uh, although Mike did get a GoPro for his family for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking crap about getting together and trying to shoot some actual yeah. video. We did photos last summer. Yeah. So we're thinking about like if we can get a little clip of some footage of tricks, like it'd yeah. be kind of cool to edit together and nice put some music to it. Nice little ground level fisheye action. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that sh- it's a little tiny camera, but it sh- you know has all the attachments and all the bells and whistles you can shoot in. I think I think his shoots in 4K. Like, yeah. it's ridiculous. So, yeah. uh, you know, we were thinking about trying to throw something together. It would be kind of cool, but uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, skating is... I love it, man. It's the best. So the most important thing about skating is that was one of the first things that i was attracted to about oh yeah, yeah. Oh. so who knows if you had never skated maybe we wouldn't even be together yeah that's true she can she can only tolerate 100 milers because you can do switch kick flips <laughs> yeah. on the first try yeah, switch kick flips wired so yeah she like she likes when i yeah she likes like all my big old puffy skate shoes and like she well, likes I big grew up baggy, in the 90s. baggy yeah. cargo pants and all this stuff that like i hate wearing now just because it's not my style but She's like, oh, you should wear cargo blah. I'm like, ah. I'm like gonna, I don't even own cargo pants. And I never will own cargo Dano's pants. Daniel's going to go into the training tank. He's going to come out in the spring with a fade. Yeah. <laughs> Dye my hair again. Cargo pants. Oversized tees. The whole nine. So well, Growing up in the 90s never loses. Yeah. Never well, lose you were that. skating in the 90s, yeah. you know. We, yeah. dressed, we dressed terrible. It was. But it was, that's what she like identifies with. So she loves it. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Nice. Nice <laughs> so, work. <laughs> Well, you can certainly count me as a member of the Dano Fanos. I couldn't think of anything uh, catchy, you know, fan club rhyming scheme for Margaret, but I'm also a fan of her too. Maybe uh, Parisians? Per- Parisians? Uh, wait, is that taken? Mm, well, I'll check later. I've put a link to Dano's Strava profile in the show notes. You should check it out and see some of the cool runs that he strings together through the city's parks. Or go check out one of uh, I Am Lesher's photos of him busting out a switch flip. It's really not terrible. You know who else isn't terrible? Josh Stratton, LMT. That's who else is not terrible. What do you think about that? So Josh is a licensed massage therapist who knows treatments that active athletes need. His office is located inside Sports PT in Winton Place. Use the code MEATBALL when booking during September for 15 bucks off a 60-minute massage. Stratton is a runner and a frequent cross-trainer, unlike yours truly. Well, I, I'm a runner. Isn't, isn't that enough? Uh, so, Josh knows where the aches are. He works all these muscles. He knows what it's like to be sore. Uh, so he can find them quickly, and he knows the right treatments to help keep you going. He's also very receptive to feedback and can customize your session however you'd like. Like the one time I went in there for a shoulder, a wrist, and an ankle massage. He didn't look at me funny. Nope. He just did a regular massage session, but then he spent a little extra time focused on those things that I asked about. So head out to his Facebook page at facebook.com Josh Stratton LMT, or, you know, just find that link in the show notes to learn more and to book an appointment. Tell them you heard about here on the podcast and use this month's secret code meatball and he'll give you 15 bucks off a 60 minute massage. Yep. 
What is normally 65 bucks for an hour will be 50 bucks. Thanks to Josh for continuing to support the show. Speaking of continuing to support the show, man, this this episode has just got awesome segues. Speaking of continuing to support the show, this month marks one year since I took the leap and began asking for contributions through Patreon. And it's been one year since Matt Bertrand took the leap and was the first Patreon supporter. I still remember that uh, first contribution in the email. In addition to the financial support, Matt's, uh, Matt's vote of confidence in the podcast sent me soaring. I was like on cloud nine. I think, I think that's what people say, they're cloud nine. Um, it was sort of one of those like, this is the right way to do it moments. So thank you to all this month's Patreon supporters. Your continued financial support helps me keep improving this podcast. And it also continues to be that vote of confidence. So if you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Check out the homepage and click the Patreon banner. Please know that any amount of support is appreciated. Thank you. And if you want to chat about this episode with other listeners or just simply share your favorite skate tricks or your... uh, immature, you know, I was a teenager stories, then uh, join our running inside out slack where we talk about all manner of things from recent episodes to our latest and greatest run. An interesting topic this past week was suggestions for someone's first trail race. And it had candidates such as Fleet Feet's Dirt Cheap, Trails Rock's Ready Set Glow, GVH's Mudslog, and Rock Orienteering's uh, Menden Trail Run all of which are happening in the next six weeks. Isn't it great to have choices like that? Man, I love Rochester. If that sounds like your kind of chat and Strava, uh, well, if Slack sounds like your kind of place, uh, then either check out the Strava group, find the link in there, or find the link on the sidebar of the website that will get you a uh, Slack invite and come join us. You can also drop a line on the Facebook page, shout at me on Twitter, at run inside out or email me at chris at running inside but start at the website where you can find all of these links thank you for listening subscribing and telling your friends thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories until next episode be thankful for what you've been given be proud of what you've achieved and let go of what you've lost see you out there